Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. St. Louis soccer history. Their first goal in Major League Soccer. Tim Parker's got it. Oh, that's completely given away. And it's an equalizer. Jared Stroud on his return to Austin. And it is all level inside the last quarter of an hour. A dreadful goal for Austin to give away. Across. Klaus inside. And he pokes it into the net. And St. Louis City go into the lead with five minutes to play. The Brazilian intent on setting yet more history on the opening night of the season for the newest team in MLS. All right, I get it. I get it. Everybody was telling me that I was too low. I wasn't excited enough about St. Louis City SC. I get it now, Alex. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That audio courtesy of Apple TV from City's opening debut night and a win on their debut night. Alex, I enjoyed the hell out of watching that game. The style that they play with. Lutz has been telling us for months, hey, I don't know how much we're going to be able to win in year one, but I'm pretty sure that our style will be something that resonates with the city of St. Louis. He's right. It reminded me of watching Mizzou basketball. I don't know how good they're actually going to be defensively, but they're going to press the hell out of you. And I enjoy watching that. It's an enjoyable style. You got to get you understood a little bit of the personality of what this team has to offer. I'm in. I'm in. It took all of one game for me to be in on City SC. Man, I uh, I cracked open a nice Mick Ultra cactus lime on Saturday night following a great Blues game and uh, sat back and turned on Apple TV, nestled down, and enjoyed myself a little City SC. And let me tell you, I was pretty pumped up watching it. It got me excited. You get a comeback victory to start off like that. And I'll say this about their team. I was kind of like you. I was skeptical when we heard the narrative of how this team will never quit and how they'll be. I think I heard the broadcaster say that uh, Carnell, the head coach, Mm -hmm. has stated that it's it's the it's a puppy pit bull growing into being a pit bull. That's yeah. what they're calling this team right now. And it felt like it. I mean, they suffocated them offensively. Defensively, eh, maybe not the prettiest of games. But to be able to push that way, score the first goal, and then come from behind against a team that was known as a come-from-behind team, I don't know about you guys. I had a ton of fun. Did you have a lot of fun? I had a ton of fun, Tanner. Would you say that you're having a good time? You know what I told myself? I, while watching City SC, I looked at the television and I said, huh, don't stop me now. 
Song for us, guys. Yeah. Instead of is Don't that, Stop Me, it's Don't song? Stop SC. It should be. You know, we came up with the blues one last year. They well, won't give us credit. We come up with a better one, and then they. Yeah. Well, the, someone clip this and send it to Luke right now. Don't Stop SC. Mm, I like I can that. get behind it. Man. We could put that on a t shirt. Are you going to be at the opener? I would love to be at the opener, but um, I got a compelling Blues and Kings game to take care of Saturday night. <laughs> Me and Tanner Pre-game will be at the game starts for you. at 8.30 right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Looking forward to not listening. Tanner, what did you think of the, of the, the city hell? debut? I, I was really impressed because I, I didn't know what to expect and you know they talked as you guys said about this high pressure how they were going to apply it kind of pulling from what happens in the German Bundesliga and I was skeptical. I didn't think that they okay yeah it's one thing to say it would be another to do it I was really impressed. I mean, that first half first half was just about as impressive as it gets when watching a soccer game. They were almost flawless. They gave up the one goal, but it was an incredible shot. Your goalie was out of position. But I, I that was beyond what I was expecting. Just to give you guys an idea of what I was expecting, I was over in Illinois on Saturday. I bet on Austin FC to win that game 4 Are to nothing. serious, dude? Yeah, I, I thought they were going to get go out there. Do you there. not support the home team? No, I do. God, that's trash. I support making money more, though. <laughs> that's trash. Well, guess what? You lost both. I did, Good. and I learned my lesson. Good. But I never I, bet against, against Eddie. And you bet against the Blues. So you deserve that All loss right, over the weekend. All right, that one's fair. But I, but I, I was impressed because they lived up to what they said. Offensively, I think they're going to be better than we were expecting, and it comes to me because of the set pieces. They weren't involved in a bunch of those, and you know the first goal was off a set piece on a corner. They looked good on free kicks that they had early in that game too. So I think offensively they may surprise us and do pretty well. Defensively, I do have some questions. The first half was about as good as it gets, but as they play that high press, they clearly get a little bit tired, and we saw that kind of affect them in the second half. They got loose, lost their shape a little bit. I I think they're going to be better than we expected. I really do. And I think that's because I think offensively they'll be able to put up some goals. Defensively, I'm a little skeptical, but I I couldn't believe they won that first game. I I really couldn't because that was a really good Austin team that they played. And that atmosphere was awesome down in Austin. And they came out and they took it to them in the first half. I thought they were the better team for a big chunk of the game. I bought in after that first goal they scored. Because that first goal was kind of the epitome of what the team has been saying. Like, they'll go in for the uh, the chances and get beat up while they're in the midst of it. Because that's what that header goal was. I, I mean, you went into a scrum of dudes. By the vice captain. <laughs> Is that what they're called, the vice captains? Yeah. yeah. Not the alternative captains? No, no. I'm just okay. learning the terminology here, guys. Just learning the terminology. I learned that on Saturday. Dude went into a... Learn we play with 11 dude guys went too. into a pack of... What'd you say? I missed that. I was trying to make a point on the BK air. Learned we played with 11 guys, too. Not true. Well, he also learned what offsides was. Yeah. Hockey guy over here. Dude went into a scrum of three or four guys and came out with that goal. That's where I was like, all right, you got my attention. And then when you went down, you stayed invested because I think after the first half, the possession time was in favor of City SC by like five or six percent. I thought I saw the uh, statistics didn't end that way. Didn't end that way at all. But even the broadcasters were saying, like, man, you're you're doing this against a team that 
lives off of possession and you were bringing it to them. I, I think a little bit of that was Austin FC maybe underestimating what an expansion team was. But offensively, man, they had all the cards right, and, and it was a fun game to watch. It was a hell of a lot of fun. Fun match and to watch. I, <laughs> Sorry, guys. I will give You'll them a lot them. of credit for taking advantage of their opportunities. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, that second goal that they scored, it looked like watching the Blues and their opponent taking advantage of a bad pass in their own zone. That was the equivalent of what you, what you watched. It was the guy just kicked it back to a city player with nobody on him. You just... In the open, and then boom, basically a free kick from there. And that is not something that's sustainable, but I do think it represents some of the types of decisions that teams make when they get pushed into a a pressurized situation, which is what their defensive identity is supposed to be for City. So I will give them the credit for that. They took advantage of their opportunities when they had them, and that's all you could ask for. Is that something that you expect every single match moving forward no if you look at the vegas odds and i i know that people probably get sick of hearing me talk about them but i think that they're representative of um kind of big picture wise where people stand city is still last in the mls in terms of odds to win the cup if you believe in this team as being like legitimately what they were on saturday you should go bet on them to win the cup because they're listed right now if you bet ten dollars you can win sixteen hundred you can win a lot of money by spending very little over on the FanDuel sportsbook don't forget to use my promo code one zero one but i don't really care about that that's not really what this season's supposed to be about you build your identity you figure out what this looks like in year one and then you continue building that on that in future years if what we saw is what we're going to see in terms of the identity man i think a lot of people are going to be starting to fall for this team sooner rather than later can we talk a little bit about the broadcast sure what would you like to talk about loved it absolutely loved it i mentioned on friday that i think if you're a baseball or a hockey fan that's probably the number like if you don't care about soccer at all you don't care about city you don't care about any of this even if you're not any of those things, if you're a baseball or hockey fan here in St. Louis, I would watch these games to get a grasp on, okay, what is this broadcast looking like? Because it very well could be the future of Cardinals and Blues broadcast, something similar to this, where it's a direct to consumer. You pay for the option of being able to watch these games. The, the visuals were incredible. I thought the picture was great. I thought the broadcasters were really good. I will say the one thing that I think they would have to do if you do baseball or hockey like this, you're going to have to get local broadcasters as opposed to national guys that are doing every game. But in general, I thought they did a great job with it. It was super easy to navigate on the app. I I thought they did a really good job with it. I I enjoyed it. Uh, I actually didn't even mind that it wasn't a local broadcast team just because I find my, I found myself really not even listening to the broadcast more as like I was watching the actual display of it. And I thought they did a really good job of it. You're right. Like just the entire like production of it, I thought was perfect. Easy to navigate on Apple TV, at least now where it's not 1299 a month that when we get to that point, that's going to be interesting. Cause I don't know what's going to happen for me. Uh, but there's something about listening to the play by play, man, when he's got an English accent, is it just me? No. Because there's just, it's something about it. it makes me feel more like a soccer fan listening to the play-by-play guy with that English accent. I'm with you there. Uh, but I, I, I like the broadcast, too. I will say the one thing that I wish they would do is I wish they would kind of have a, kind of to your point on local broadcasters, if baseball and hockey goes this way, I do wish they would kind of have like a pre- and post-game show. I, I do kind of wish agree. that because 
basically it was, hey, here's your starting lineups. Okay, let's get to the action. And I, I don't necessarily mind that. It's just I feel like I would like it better if there was more pregame so I could hear, okay, here's what the coach is saying, and here's what you should be looking for as we go into this game. And, oh, okay, here's what coach says post game, and here's, here's why City scored on their first goal. Here's what happens on the play. I, I do think that that would make it a little bit better. But overall, the presentation of it, I thought was great. I, I thought they did a really good job. And I thought the broadcasters were fantastic as well. Yeah, I thought the presentation was very good. Somebody on the text line says, BK, just for what it's worth, a lot of the announcers on Apple are local announcers previously. I totally understand that. I'm saying I think you need somebody with a St. Louis tie. Like if the Blues were to go to Apple or Amazon or wherever, a streaming product, I think that you would like to see local people doing that broadcast for your team. Like you'd still want to see JK doing the broadcast. You'd want to see Jamie Rivers and Darren Pang. You'd want to see those guys still on the broadcast. You'd want to see a local pre and post game show that is made available for every market individually. Like I would want to see Alexa Dat and Bernie on the post game show to be able to break things down and get the local interviews with the players and the coaches. That was not something we saw on Saturday. And I do think that's something that's missing And I think it makes it a little more like I was waiting around after the game on Saturday to get the players reactions on the field, to get the coach reaction on the field. And we never really got it. And that was one piece that I did think fell a little bit flat. But that's a simple complaint that could easily be changed by the end of the season. Or maybe that's just like because this is being covered in a way that's more national. I think that's just something that you would change if you get this in baseball or in hockey, because those have always been local TV markets. Some might say you're just spoiled. That, that could also be the case. I mean, Very likely. Be perhaps. happy that we have a MLS team. Touche. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, it is the illustrious return of our friend, the Cardinals insider for the athletic, Katie Wu. She will join us live from down in Jupiter, where on, so I guess it would have been yesterday, Sunday, Jordan Walker, who buddy, made his presence felt, to say the least. We'll talk about him and what he's doing to earn a spot on the opening day roster with Katie Wu coming up at 1130. But coming up next, the Blues made a big trade over the weekend. Ivan Barbashev, officially a Golden Knight. What did the return tell us about the Blues' plans moving forward? We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. First of all, the player, Dean, it's interesting. I had a lot of people who watch prospects say they really like that kid. Yeah. He's a throwback to what they were, uh, like a nasty. He's not a guy who's going to score you 40 goals, but he's going to play for a long time. He's going to drive a lot of people crazy. And that's the kind of player that the Blues really like. And, you know, to be honest, he's probably like a Barbashev who's not going to score 60 points. So nobody was surprised at that. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts podcast earlier today, talking about what the Blues were able to get in return for Ivan Barbashev. Did come as a bit of a surprise to me, I'm not going to lie to you guys, that the Blues ended up opting for a prospect as opposed to a pick in return for Ivan Barbashev. Now, this prospect that they got is not a high ceiling type of a player. He is a high floor type of a player from all reports. Here's what Corey Pronman of The Athletic had to say about him. Quote, he's not a flashy player, but he is a good skater. He had some skill. He can shoot the puck pretty well, and he has a terrific motor. 
He attacks the net. He plays hard and he has a physical edge to his game. I don't see him as a big scorer at the NHL level, though, as I don't think he's overly creative or instinctive as a player. He can play center or the wing. I can see him being a middle six type of a winger if needed. But if he stays down the middle, it would probably be more of a number three or four center for me. Again, that comes from Corey Pronman, just one man's opinion on him. But it seems to be kind of the consensus opinion on Zach Dean, who the Blues got in return for Barbashev from the Golden Knights. Dean was a late first round pick a couple of years ago, Alex. I kind of like it. I, got, I, I I was surprised that they went the prospect route, but you never know what you're going to get in the second round. It's it, it's the mystery box thing, right? Uh, you Do you want to go with the boat? Do you want to go with the mystery box? The mystery box could even become a boat. And that's what I think that Doug Armstrong was going for here is I've got a known commodity. I kind of have a good idea of what Zach Dean's going to be moving forward. And I think that he wants to get back to a certain style of play here in St. Louis. And they know that they've lost that style of play this year. And Dean sure seems to fit in to the mold of a Craig Berube forward. What did you make of the return? What do you make of Zach Dean? So the return was, a, if you're grading it, I'd give it an A. Because you got the equivalent of a first-round pick. But this first-round pick is closer to the NHL than what a first-round pick would have been from Vegas. So that's a win in my book. That's very telling that Doug Armstrong said, I want a first-round pick. And they said, well, we can't give you that because, frankly, Vegas is dealing those out like the Rams deal out their first-round picks. and Just hand them out to everybody. I respect that about them. Yeah, well, this team actually wins, though. Um, Sorry, that was... That was that was cruel. Okay, man, there's a banner up there in LA. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Doug got this instead, and this tells me that this was probably the best return because other teams that were willing to go in for Ivan Barbashev probably weren't going to give up what Doug wanted. For Zachary Dean, it, honestly, it reminds me a lot of an Ivan Barbashev. It reminds me a lot of a Jake Neighbors. You're going to probably Neighbors get, was the comp that immediately came to mind. You're going to probably get at the NHL level at best 15 goals, maybe 50 points. But what you're going to get every single night is a guy who is playing the system the right way. Whatever Craig Berube deems efficient for his team, that's what Zachary Dean. He seems like the prototypical dump and chase player. Uh, to correct myself off air, I told you he was Team USA. He was Team Canada at World Juniors, uh, uh, T-Bone. And it's some of the highlights when I was looking at him yesterday... The dude forechecks hard. I mean, he goes into the boards. He comes away with the puck. He's not a playmaker. He can pass the puck well, but he goes to the front of the net. So whatever they view him as, he's going to be a middle six forward for the Blues. Could he be for the Blues what Noel Achari was this year? Like that kind of player where you're like, hey, Probably. third, fourth line center. Killer. You like what he brings to the table. Is he ever going to be a $6 million player? No, but he could score 10 to 15 goals in any given season, and it wouldn't surprise anybody. Like I would imagine what the Blues are looking at if you're Doug Armstrong. You're thinking next season, I want competition for a third line with Jake Neighbors, Zachary Dean, and then whomever else they have on their team because that's the identity line that Craig Berube talks about. But if I could go further with you guys, I also don't even know if Zachary Dean's ever going to wear the blue note because the first thing I thought of yesterday when I saw this trade was, okay, Doug just picked up another equivalent of a first-round pick which can help him make a trade. We all know what he stated in his media availability that this is not going to be a rebuild and tear it down and long play build it back up. If there is a player available, Timo Meyer is now off the market, but if there is somebody else available that is in a long rebuild mode, take Arizona, for example, Zachary Dean might be traded 
to that team for the piece that Doug wants on his roster next season. Now, Dean will be eligible to play in the NHL, AHL next season. It's the start of his entry-level contract. So if they don't move him, if this tinfoil doesn't pan out, then he's probably in the Springfield Thunderbirds organization next year fighting for an NHL roster spot. But I'm not sold that Zach Dean stays a blue because they could get some they could get some assets at the trade deadline or in the offseason with him. So my my retort to that would be this. I think Zach Dean makes it possible to trade one of your other prospects. Like maybe what they were doing is they were targeting Zach Dean because they know there are other people that are like, for example, in the Chikrin sweepstakes, if they're actually in on Chikrin, my guess is a guy like Zachary Bolduke is probably somebody that Arizona would be very interested in. He's got a higher ceiling, it seems like at least, than uh, Zach Dean does. Maybe what you're doing is saying, okay, we were kind of counting on a Zachary Bolduke to be one of those middle six forwards for us down the road. Maybe Dean can be that guy for us instead. And it makes it easier for us to have the pipeline internally to be able to move a guy like Zachary Bolduke. I don't know if that's the case, but it could be Dean that ends up being that player. It could be Jake. Nate. I, I don't know what they're going to do this offseason or at the trade deadline. But I think by getting another player that can be one of those middle six forwards for you it makes it easier to be able to move another one. I, I would say that's kind of where I fall on this. Yeah, I, I mean, Bolduke absolutely has a higher ceiling in terms of goal-scoring ability, and although some people are down on him, I mean, the kid's put up 40 goals already this season in his junior team and inching closer to 50, but yeah, I mean... a. a what? He's in the same league as Zach Dean I believe Dean so, is, right? both in the queue. Yeah. And, and he's far more productive than Zach Dean in terms of a point production. Here's the other aspect of it. Bolduke didn't make Team Canada at the World Juniors, and Zachary Dean did. So I guess it just depends on what teams want. And they're both 20 years old. They're both probably a couple of years away from being an NHL regular. So it's just a matter of what that ceiling looks like. But this is just more weapons for Doug to use come March 3rd or in the offseason to acquire the NHL ready piece. Can we talk about the other move that the Blues made over the weekend? Sure. Blues decided to claim Kasperi Kapanen. Now, he's a former forward with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He played like 13, 14 minutes a night for them. And previously, he had been pretty productive. Most of his seasons have ended with somewhere in that like teen range for goals, 11 to 20, around that range, 30, 45 points per year. He's not a great player, but he had been productive at times in the past. The Blues decided to pick him up. And the reason why I think it's interesting is because he is not an expiring contract. He's got a $3.2 million salary this year in next. They're now basically up against the cap for this season. They were able to make this work because of some of the other trades that they've made. So you've got Kapanen on a contract in 2023. So this upcoming year, he's got one more year left on his deal. What did you make of them picking him up? I know you've talked a lot about the Yessi Poliarvi possibility. It feels like this is similar in terms of taking a risk on a player who was not working out in his previous situation any longer and you're hoping that a change of scenery, a kick to the teeth by him having to realize that, hey, it, it didn't work for me on a team that I've spent my entire career with, maybe that can kick him in the right direction. Yeah, I, I, I was honestly surprised when I saw that they had claimed him off of waivers because of the $3.2 million next season. It seems like they're trying to create cap space, and why would you take somebody on for next season? But... 
I, I talked to a couple of different Pittsburgh Penguins people, and I know Curbs did as well, and we were talking about this on postgame. It just seems like this is a guy who fell out of favor with Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh. Uh, Mike Sullivan seemed to put him in every situation possible, and it didn't pan out for him. He was playing fourth line most of the time with the Pittsburgh Penguins, but got opportunities to play with Evgeny Malkin. Um, from what some of the Pittsburgh broadcasters slash writers were saying, He's a guy who plays around the outside a lot more than they would like, so he doesn't go to the front of the net, which that might tick some Blues fans off. But he's got a rifle of a shot, and he can finish his plays. He's a heavy checker, finishes his checks. So this, to me, seemed like a reclamation project of Doug thinking, like, all right, we got a guy who could play in our top six. He was skating with uh, Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich today at Morning Skate. Uh, so... See if you can get him back to that 20-goal plateau that he had with the Toronto Maple Leafs back in 2018-19. But if anything, you're going to get a guy who's on a contract or a walk year next year, and if your team is still struggling, you might be able to flip this and get something if he plays well. But this is probably internal competition that Doug's looking at and saying he's right in that time frame that we said, 25 to 26 years old, to play with this core of players. He's got goal-scoring ability. Let's see if he can find it again in St. Louis rather than in Pittsburgh. I'm curious to see how he fits. Um, because this is a guy that, like you said, does play a little bit on the outside. I talked to a buddy who lives up in Pittsburgh. He's a lifelong Penguins fan, and he didn't love him, to say the least. Uh, he's kind of gone in the trajectory that you didn't want to see. Rightfully so, because I would imagine Pittsburgh Penguins fans were expecting more of what he did in Toronto, and he sure. was underwhelming to those people. Yeah, and I think that at first, people were happy with what they saw out of him the last couple of seasons, and then he got that contract extension in the offseason, and he has not lived up to it at all so far this year. So, it'd be interesting to see what the Blues are able to get out of him. I like it. It's a risk you're able to take when you're in a situation that the Blues are in right now. Like you said, worst case scenario, uh, you ended up wasting $3 million bucks. Best case scenario, though, you've either got an asset that you can flip in the offseason or next year at the trade deadline or you've got somebody that you can potentially build around middle six forward those guys are valuable three million bucks worth the flyer in my Absolutely. opinion in 15 minutes we'll get to questions and answers 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line but next katie Wu joins us live from jupiter where she was able to take in the game yesterday that jordan walker completely dominated offense running uh, defense, everything. Everything you wanted to see from him, you did. What did Katie make of that? What did she make of his opportunity to be able to make this team on opening day? We'll talk to her about it next year on 101 ESPN. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and 
Fans, Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN, and it has been far too long since we've been able to catch up with our friend at the Cardinals Insider for the Athletic. She's Katie Wu joining us live from Jupiter, where the Cardinals are back in action in spring training games today against the New York Mets. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. How are you doing today? Fellas, it is so nice to be back with you. I missed you guys. Um, but yeah, there's beautiful weather in Jupiter today. Game's about to start. I have zero complaints for one. What's Katie, going on? Katie, how much did you miss us, truly? Well, I think we have to go the person-by-person rank oh, because God. some I might have perhaps missed more than others. Oh, yeah. But I'll BK's third. There. BK is absolutely BK is, third. BK might be third. And I, I think Tanner's <laughs> first. So I, you know what, Katie? I will take the middle spot here. You know, you, you crushed it. You did crush the power rankings. Nailed it. What else is new? BK's always last on these lists. Did you see her her tweet about returning to the show today? Was she wrong? She said it's about that time. Back on the boy or back with time. the boys on 101 ESPN for another season. You can ca- catch us checking or talking Cardinals in BK's overall misfortune every Monday. Yeah, that seems about right. Look, I mean, you guys, you have a brand. You got you got to up to it. Nailed it. I feel like I have the brand. Speaking of being bad. Speaking of misfortune, misfortunes, Katie, uh, I was texting with Polo. Apparently you forget a lot of things when you uh, go to the ballpark down in Jupiter. Okay. You know, I think I'm just a little overstimulated. Yes. I, the first couple of weeks I did forget almost, I would average like one forgotten personal item every other day, but we're getting better. We're getting better with each week. I know it's only Monday and it's like 12 o'clock here, but have not lost anything today yet. Proud of you. Boom. Are you in the best Thank shape you. of your life? Is that a fair way to describe what your off season was like? Or is that just like, you know, Tyler O'Neill? Um, I am not in the best shape of my life as evidenced by the fact that it is exhausting for me to go across the backfield. Seriously, it's so much walking. But it was a reality check for me that maybe I need to incorporate some daily cardio going forward. Did you eliminate the leg kick, though, so that your power swings there? <laughs> You're more contact. Um. No, I still think I'm a big swing and a miss girl in almost all circumstances, you guys. But that's okay. At least I know my skill set. All right. See, this is the scouting report that we need before we start the that's regular right. season, Katie. All right, Katie. You're so right. let's let's get into the nitty gritty of what you saw in the spring training games over the weekend. Uh, let's start with the obvious. So is Jordan Walker just going to like swing his way onto this baseball team? Okay, you guys. So I didn't actually see the Jordan Walker what? home run, oh, not because I wasn't it. at the game. I did BK it, but it was not my fault. Um, my seat assignment just happened to be behind this gigantic pillar, which for whatever reason is in the middle of the press box. But So I didn't see it, but I did hear it. And I knew instantly, even though I did not know who was up to bat at the moment, that it was Jordan Walker, just based off the sound and of the bat alone, the ball in the bat alone. It just sounds different. And I know that's kind of a cliche, but I don't know how to express this in any other way. If you have a guy who's 20 years old and can get the intention of an entire ballpark off one swing of the bat, that is some special, special talent. Have you talked to anybody about that, Katie? You're sitting behind a pillar at spring training games. Do they know who you are? <laughs> oh, no, they probably do. That's probably, probably intentional. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so follow up with Jordan Walker then, Katie. Is it right for me to fall in love with him after one swing of the bat? I Yes. I mean, look, this is a very special talent. He's obviously the power, the alert, the, the five tools. It's all warranted. Do I think he has a legitimate shot to make the opening day roster? I wouldn't give it, I wouldn't say no. I do think he has an opportunity. Do I think a lot of it depends, one, on his play, of course, but also the play of the other outfielders? Absolutely. Because let's be honest, 
the Cardinals are not going to start or bring up Jordan Walker if he is not going to start every single day. And that's not a Jordan Walker thing. That's a Cardinals organization thing. The front office has been so meticulous over the past years of only promoting their top prospects when there is a path for them to play every single day. So, and, and then their, their reasoning is there's no reason to bring up Jordan Walker if he's just going to sit the bench when he could be playing every single day in AAA. But will he have the opportunity to prove that he can make the opening day roster and will the Cardinals give him a legitimate chance? I believe so. We're talking to Katie Wu of The Athletic here on 101 ESPN. If you haven't already, what are you doing? But give, give her a follow on Twitter at Katie J. Wu and be sure to subscribe to The Athletic for all of her excellent work. Uh, Katie, speaking of that outfield uh, conversation, I did want to ask you about the way that they're approaching center field. I wonder if some of this is just uh, about the World Baseball Classic and Newt and O'Neill both going off to their respective teams soon. But what have you made of the fact that we have not yet seen Dylan Carlson in center? Yeah, you know, that's a good point, but I think that is a little bit to do with the World Baseball Classic because obviously with Tyler and Lars leading, Lars especially, who leaves tomorrow, there will be plenty of opportunities for Dylan to play center. We were talking about this with Ollie Marmel today, that Dylan will see a ton of reps with obviously with both of those guys gone. So I think to me, I don't want to read too much into that just based on the timing and these guys leaving soon. We will see plenty of Dylan in center field, and we will see plenty of Jordan Walker in the corners, but... I think the center field competition all around is interesting because the Cardinals and their three front runners for the starting outfield positions in Newbar, Carlson, and O'Neill, it's so unique because all three of those guys can play all three outfield positions, really, in my belief, in my belief above league average. So that's a great problem to have. And I, I hear the reasoning about Tyler O'Neill. Maybe you want to avoid playing him in center because he's been injury prone in the past. I get it. But when you look at the, the traits of a center fielder, route direction, sprint speed, all of that, that really plays to Tyler O'Neill's strength and also to Dylan Carlson. So we'll see. But the best way for back to Jordan Walker, for Jordan Walker to be on this club, is if you can move Tyler O'Neill to center and he can play there regularly or if Dylan Carlson can stay there regularly because when Jordan Walker comes up, again, he'll be playing those corner outfield spots. Oh, I see him right now. It's time to shake hands on the field. <laughs> a man of the people. Um, that's his spot. That's his avenue. And for that to happen, there needs to be flexibility in center field as well. So I do think it's a multifaceted approach here. I'm assuming you're not sitting behind that pillar since you can see him on the field shaking hands, right? I am not. I moved to a visiting radio booth, so Smart. I would like to shout out Polo Asensio. This is the seat that I'm sitting in. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So, Katie, speaking of Dylan Carlson, I mean, it does seem like he might be the odd man out here because of all of the hype around Lars Newbar, uh, the expectation of Tyler O'Neill getting a lot of reps in center field, and then with Jordan Walker, uh, what, what do you make of Dylan Carlson's position on this team going through spring training? I think the Cardinals still value Dylan Carlson very highly, and they should. He's a young guy, 24 years old, can, has shown abilities in the past to be a, a, a solid two-way player. He just needs to hit, uh, especially he needs to hit against uh, right-handed pitchers. So for Dylan, this is a big spring for him because it, it's his chance to prove that he can be an everyday player in the lineup. We've seen Ollie Marmel platoon him, especially in the second half when he was kind of taking a nose dive and using him to play the splits. That's something that all he really likes to do. He prefers that line of flexibility, fluidity. You all know this. So for Dylan, it's not necessarily for me looking at him as, you know, is he on the team or is he not? It's, is he on the team as a full-time regular starter or is he on the team as a platoon bat and, or a platoon player based on, you know, opposing matchups and opposing teams? Because you are correct in saying there does seem to be a lot of hype around Newt Barr and O'Neill and, of course, Walker. But to me, I don't think that really – 
eliminates any of the the expectations that the Cardinals have for Dylan Carlson. Katie, position player-wise, who has caught your eye other than Jordan Walker? Is there anybody like games or just while you've been watching a swing that's caught your attention? Is there anybody in particular that you're like, ah, that that's interesting and worth noting? Yes. Uh, Nolan Gorman has been really impressive so far in the limited times that we've seen him um, because he's he did not revamp his swing. But he changed his approach. We all know that Gorman was exposed often in the second half of last season because the league caught up to him. They saw his, uh, his inability to catch up to the high fastball. You know how to pitch Nolan Gorman. You know he can do damage on the low off-speed pitches in the zone. You don't want to throw him anything there. But last season, if you threw him something high, letters, at the letters, he was most likely going to whiff or chase after it. So he spent the entire season working on getting, identifying that high fastball early and he doesn't necessarily want to do damage with that pitch. He does want to be able to put it in play, but his main goal is to be able to just fight it off so he can get to the pitch that he wants, which is that low off-speed stuff. I saw it at bat yesterday on Sunday against the Marlins, against Johnny Cueto. He was down to two strikes. Cueto gives him this high fastball. He actually gets a barrel on it, hits it over 100 miles per hour to second base for a two-run single. But when I asked him about you know that approach, he said, you know, I wasn't surprised I expect to do that. I spent way too much time on this offseason making sure I could put myself in a position like that, that going forward, that's the expectation. He's really impressed Ollie Marmel as well, who said that Nolan Gorman looks like a different player this spring. So he's my guy to keep an eye on because if Gorman can figure out a way to hit consistently, that left-handed power, we, it's been a while since we've seen that at Bush Stadium, and I think it can completely transform the lineup. Katie, same question, but on the pitcher side of things. Ooh. Ooh, good question. I think he's... Well, we know the rotation is, is pretty well established, barring any injury, but I'm really intrigued by the left-handed relief jobs and the competition there. Zach Thompson, I think, could have a big season for the Cardinals. He's added some velocity, and the reason he was able to do that was because he changed how he was coming set. He's always been a guy that came relatively came set relatively high, but he's now changed his glove to coming set similar to Ryan Helsley, just from the left side. And when I asked him why, he joked. He said, well, it seemed to work out really well for him in adding Velo. Ryan Helsley threw, like, the five fast decisions in baseball last year. So that coming said it was a minor tweak, has added up to three miles per hour on his Velo, and I think he can be a pretty electric arm in the bullpen. They already have Cabrera, who has some nasty stuff when right. You can Cabrera, uh, compare Cabrera and Thompson together, and you throw in Palante. I know he's a right-hander, but has opposing splits. I think that's a really complex left side of your bullpen. Final question. We'll get you out of here on this one, Katie. Uh, when you look at the way that we saw these first this first weekend's games, what do you think of the pitch clock, the, the new rule changes? Anything in particular stand out about it? You know, I didn't really notice the pace of play until I looked up, and because it, it didn't feel like the game was was speeding up by any means. I kind of had the impression that it was going to feel like when you listen to a podcast on like speed one point five, just really rushed, right? But I didn't notice it in the moment. I noticed it when I realized it was the top of the fifth and only an hour and 10 minutes had passed. And I turned to the people next to me. I said, oh, my gosh, what happened? So I think it's a work in progress. I think we're going to have to give both everyone some grace here, players, coaches, umpires, as they figure out the best way to get on the, the same page. There's going to be some mishaps. We had one yesterday with the clock being in four thirty seconds too early to start the inning. And, but, you know, to the credit, the people, the communication staff and the, the umpires caught it about six innings through and were able to fix it and communicated to each team what was going on. So 
I don't have too many complaints right now, even though I'm I'm not an enthusiast of the new rules, I would say. But I do think that we should approach this with an open mind and give people some grace as we adjust. Katie, it's great to have you on with us once again this season. We are looking forward to being able to speak with you each and every Monday throughout the baseball season, enjoying all of your great work from down there in Jupiter over on The Athletic. We'll talk with you again next week. You got it, guys. Great to be back with you. I'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. That's Katie Wu, one of our favorites. You can find her work over at The Athletic. And be sure to follow her on Twitter if you aren't doing so already, at Katie J. Wu. T-Bone, when she said that she noticed that um, Nolan Gorman is one guy that she's keeping her eye on, you looked at me and you said, yeah. That he looks different. What what has impressed you so far about Nolan Gorman? So I saw the same thing that she saw yesterday in that game where he took that fastball and hit it at the second baseman. And he hit it with authority and it got pat. I think got under the second baseman's glove or hit the second baseman's glove and brought in some runs. And the other one was she mentioned his off take, taking off speed pitches and hitting those that are away. He took a change. I think it was a changeup or a curveball yesterday that was low and away, and he was able to keep his hands back and he fought it off and hit a little blooper into right field for a hit. And I I didn't see that from Gorman last year. One, it was hitting a fastball up. Now, granted. It was Cueto, so there wasn't a lot of velocity yeah, on 90 it. 90 miles an hour at yeah, the most. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what it looks like as we get into spring training and he starts seeing guys that throw a little bit more heat. But the other one for me was that hitting that breaking ball and being able to stay through it and get that ball that was able to loop into right field. I, I did think he looked a little bit better and looked different than what we saw last year. You know my motto on spring training. It all matters. Nothing matters. Uh, However... There is an addendum to that, which is nothing matters until it does. <laughs> and what I mean by that is it sounds silly, but keep an eye on all of this stuff and see how it plays out once we get into the start of the regular season. If the changes are real, they will follow them into the regular season. And we will say when you looked back on spring training, that was the start of this. Then there's other things like Paul DeYoung last year where just is awesome in spring training. Then you get into the regular season. None of that really tracked. And then it just became a snowball effect. If this is real with Nolan Gorman, it's noteworthy because if he can be that left-handed power bat that they're looking for and he can hit like 30 home runs in the six hole for them this season. And yeah, there's going to be strikeouts. We know that that's that's part of who he is as a player. And you're never going to change that. But if he can be the left-handed bat that plays mostly DH and occasionally is in there at either second or spells uh, Arenado for a day at third, man, that's a super valuable piece that you could potentially have on your roster. And that changes the outlook again for especially like the back half of this lineup. That's a big deal if if things are real with the way that he's changed his swing. If you missed anything from our conversation with Katie Wu, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text 314-399-9646. PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this from the 314. Boys, any comment on the Blues bringing Alexandrov back up from the AHL after a short period of time in Colton Pareko missing practice today? 
Alexandrov's back. About the only comment you'll get there. I, I, we don't know anything about Pareko yet, and it's yeah. this is one of those things that's hard to speculate on. It could be as simple as he got banged up in the game on Saturday and everybody's freaking out over nothing. It could be something more significant. It's impossible to know until we hear comment on it, so I, I don't even really want to speculate too much on yeah. it. But we do know that he's been a guy that there have at least been conversations about, so I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. Uh, it's not rare for guys to miss practice at this time of the year, too. Deep into the season, I, I mean... it's hard to sit there and act like he's been moved because there'd be a lot more speculation from analysts. I'm only assuming that's what the texter's asking. So I would say pump the brakes on that one. This might just be a day-to-day thing. I'd agree with that. I think it could just be a day-to-day thing until we hear otherwise. And it's unlike the Blues to hold players out, though. I will say that. Especially at practice. Ryan O'Reilly was traded the day that he was on the ice. Yeah. And we've seen Barbashev was playing up until he got dealt. So... My my guess, and again, I don't want to speculate either, but my guess would be that this is probably injury-related. Uh, from the 314, guys, do you think that Kobe Brown is the best Mizzou basketball player of the SEC era? I No, first of all. I think that we do this sometimes where the most recent is the greatest. Kobe Brown's a very good basketball player and has a chance to be like an all-SEC type of performer this year. But... I do not think he's the best. I'm not even sure he's better than Lawrence Bowers. I, I would have Lawrence Bowers potentially. Yeah, maybe him. this season I could listen to that, but all SEC era. I would have Jabari Brown over him. Uh, just trying to think through kind of some of the guys that immediately come to mind for me. Uh, the problem is you had like a few years there under um, under Kim Anderson where they didn't have very many good players. So Truth. Drags he, it down a bit. I yeah. think Jonte Porter. Was arguably See, would you, a better uh, Michael player. Porter's got to be up there. I think just uh, I know he, he didn't play there, but his pure talent. But was when there. he was yeah. there, he was a stud. But yeah, Jonte Porter, I think I might even have an act. His final season, uh, I mean, that was that was the best. We it was unfortunate that that was the season Jonte had because you would have liked to have that the same yeah. time you had Michael Porter. Yeah, I think there's been a few guys that I would take over him, but he's he's up there. He's probably top five. I would like if you were making a starting five of a Mizzou basketball players since they joined the SEC. I think Kobe Brown is a part of that starting yeah. five. Uh, all right, 314-399-9646 is the air cover service text line from the 618. Guys, who do you think will eventually become St. Louis City SC's rival? I would assume Kansas City. Or Nashville. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably say one of those two. Chicago I, I have think one? Chicago has a team. I was going to say Chicago. Well, it's got to be a team in the KC East with a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm looking to see. I believe, yeah, Nashville's in the East, so they won't play them as much because City's in the West. So yeah. that that might be what hurts that rivalry. I would have to think it would be, yeah, KC's the closest in the Western Conference. Maybe Minnesota, but nah. there's not really a poll there. And the Ch- Chicago would be a natural rivalry, but the problem is they're in the East, yeah, too. So. All these East teams you don't see as much, so that's going to be the tough one. It'll be whoever, the first time they get to the playoffs, that's going to be the new rival. That's the thing is, like, I, I think that there's, we've talked about this before, there's traditional rivals, which are most of the time geographic, and then there's competitive rivals, which is who's good at any given time. First of all, City has to be good for that to take place, and Whoa, so does undefeated. the other team. But so does the other team at the same time. It's like, for example, the the Blues versus the Blackhawks. That's always going to be a rival because it's geographic. It's it's something that is there in every sport. Well, and you got the history with it too of playoff performances. 
Blues versus Sharks, though, there for a little while was was a rivalry. Mm -hmm. And why did that take place? It was because it was competitive. Yep. Those were the two teams that were battling it out year to year in the postseason. Blues versus uh, Kings, Blues versus Avs, Predators, Blues recently, versus Avalanche. Like that is something that develops over time yeah. with competitive games going back and forth. And so that's something that it's really hard to project. As for the geographic one, yeah, I think Nashville and KC are probably the two that make the most sense in that regard. Uh, from the 314, guys, would you take the over or under on eight wins for the Blues the rest of the way? <laughs> Go Alex. 23 games left? 24 games left? Oh, man. I, I hate saying this, but I might take the under. 23 games. Right I now. might take I, the under. I would take the under. Uh, they, they've got... Especially if we're talking about regulation ones. I'll be curious to see what they look like post-March 3rd. That's that's kind of my checkpoint right now. I mean, the rest of this is just going to be deal with it. You got two more games with the uncertainty. March 3rd hits, depending on what your roster looks like. Maybe they get a little bit more consistency in their game, but I, I would take the under because they do have a lot of tough opponents in the month of March and April. Um, and even the easy opponents that we're going to call, they've struggled with them. Arizona, Montreal, Vancouver. So uh, I would take the under. That's what I just looked at as I just kind of skim through the schedule to see okay who are opponents that i would deem as quote unquote easy and i'm throwing national into this category because they look like they're tearing it apart and i got to seven and we said the number was what eight over under eight yeah so i i would probably lean towards the under and two. you know what great because yeah. that's stop winning these going in overtime is what i'd say because these points have been detrimental to you curbs mentioned it the other day if you're somebody that is rooting for the team god bless you but also the best thing for the organization long-term is probably losing these games. Yep. Honestly, the last two games are specifically over the weekend. The game on Saturday. It's kind of what you want to see. You saw enough to be convinced that they're not like laying down or anything. They they had some competitive moments within that game against Pittsburgh. Yeah, you know your goaltender's great. Yeah, oh, well, dude, Bennington was unreal on Anybody Saturday. Anybody who, who goes off of stats with Bennington following this season doesn't watch hockey yeah the, he was amazing especially saturday was one of the best games i've seen from him this year he was, he, he was unbelievable only only losing by a goal and we gotta lose by two um but <laughs> end of that <laughs> i think that it was pretty close to being the best case scenario the only thing that would have been better is if you lose in regulation right. as opposed to overtime top Come, you want a top 10 pick that's what you want that's the that's the goal by the end of the season well, top five. But what I mean is I would like to see top five. you want to be one of the 10 worst teams in the NHL because you've got your chance to move into the top three. And right now, I think they're ninth. Yeah, I guess you're, today, ninth. you're in the ninth spot yep. coming up in about 15 minutes. We'll play a game of in or out. Three, one, four, three, nine, 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 six, four, six is the air comfort service text line. You give us a scenario. We will tell you if we are in or out. But coming up next, got to talk about what Jordan Walker did over the weekend. Anything you wanted to see? You saw it on three specific plays from him on Sunday. We'll talk about him next year on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
little tapper. Segura, gloves, double clutch, and that's going to cost him. Walker gets down the line in good shape for a big man. He's got an infield hit. Now Segura ambushes a first pitch. That's hit high in the air toward Walker and left. And the big man up against the wall hauls it in. Swing, fly ball, wallop. Jordan Walker, deep left center field. That ball is gone. Man, what a performance that was over the weekend. Bally Sports Midwest with the calls. Jordan Walker quickly doing everything you would want to see in order to get him in the conversation of making the opening day roster. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. I don't want to overreact to anything because, again, spring training doesn't always matter as much as we want it to. That being said, you're looking for traits right now, especially from your young kids. And Jordan Walker yesterday showed you the power. He showed you the speed with legging out a uh, single to first. Now, to be fair, uh, Gene Segura definitely had a double clutch on that one. But if you looked at the sprint speed afterward, it was like 29 feet per second, which is essentially the same as the average speed last year from Tommy Edmond. We're talking about a guy that's 6'5", 250 pounds. Super impressive. And then third... It wasn't like a highlight real catch necessarily, but he did also have that catch against the wall, which flashed the leather in the way that you would want to see from Jordan Walker as he's making that transition out to the outfield. If he continues this big, if is he going to start to push his way into more? So the opening day roster conversation, in your opinion, Alex, look, I don't care what you think. You can sit back and say like, Oh man, spring training doesn't matter as much, but as Elvis Presley once said, I can't help but fall in love with you. And I fell in love yesterday with that swing. That man demolished that baseball. And that's at Jupiter, Florida at Roger Dean stadium, where it is not easy to do home runs like that, especially when you got the wind dominating the outfield the way that it does. But yeah, I mean, Katie Wu's right. And if you missed our conversation, go back and listen to it a little bit later on our podcast. Um, it's not so much what he does at camp as it is what everyone else does. Because the only way Jordan Walker's making this team, and this is why I said I don't see it happening right away, is if somebody underperforms or gets injured between Lars Newtbar, Tyler O'Neill, or Dylan Carlson. Because he's not making this roster to be a DH. He's not making this roster to be a off-of-the-bench guy. He's making this roster to be a starting corner outfielder for the Cardinals for the remainder of the season. So I hope he keeps doing that because by the end of this spring training, maybe you are forced to say, we don't have a spot for him, but we're going to make a spot. Maybe... Newbar becomes a fourth outfielder in a DH. Maybe Dylan Carlson doesn't have the spring training and he starts as a bench bat. But I still am skeptical that he makes the team because of what Katie said. You're going to figure out what you've got in your three outfielders. And when one of them underperforms in the first four weeks of the regular season, then Jordan Walker comes up and that individual might have lost his job. Yeah, I'm with you. I I think it's going to be tough for him to make the opening day roster, even if he continues to play like this, just because it is going to, in my opinion, I think it is going to depend on what the other guys are doing. Although I will say this, I think if it comes down to a quote-unquote tiebreaker between Lars, Carlson, and Walker, I think Walker will win the tiebreaker because I, I truly, I still believe this, and I've been saying this since probably January. I think they want Walker to win a job out of camp. And yesterday was a good start. I mean, I... I tweeted out yesterday, you know, I was impressed with that play in the outfield that we that we played in the return. 
I don't think he's going to be a bad defender by any means, but I was curious to know how he would adjust, and especially with the Windy Stadium, as you were talking about, down there in Jupiter. And he played it, he played it well. He looked good out there in the outfield. You saw the sprint speed that we were talking about. You saw the power. Everything that he was raved to have, he showed in his limited at-bats yesterday. So I was impressed, and I think if he continues on this path, Yes, partly it's going to depend on what the other three guys do for him to try and win a job. But I do think if he puts himself up in that conversation and plays well, and they look at it and go, okay, Walker was really good, Carlson was really good, all right, we'll give it to Walker. We think Walker's got more upside than Carlson. See, I only think that tiebreaker applies to Carlson, because I think Lars Nupar already has his tiebreaker. I think Nude is the one guy that is established in the That's what right I now. think. It's Nude O'Neill. said that in the offseason. It's Nude O'Neill, and then they got to figure out between Walker and Dylan Carlson. I would also add this. And I, I'm going to give Ollie some credit on this in this regard. Ollie has made it very clear. If somebody is better, they will win the job. Like full stop. And he made that clear last year in season when you saw guys start to perform and they would start raising. If you if it's a reliever, for example, they would get more high leverage opportunities. Um, if it's a guy that was just performing well at the plate, they would be somebody that starts getting more at bats. If Jordan Walker is better during this during spring training and it's by a sizable margin than any of those three outfielders i think he starts the season on on the opening day roster now i think that's going to be really difficult for him because what you saw yesterday is is hard to sustain but if he is able to do it the way that ollie manages i think this team will be forced to say this kid earned it and he's going to go into opening day with us and then it becomes a question of, is he going to be able to continue this into the regular season or not? And then he could prove it. He, he's got It's on him at that point. I would also add this. Skip Schumacher said this yesterday after the game. This came from, uh, I believe it was John Denton's story over on MLB.com about Jordan Walker. Oh, yeah. Said for me, this again, comes from Skip Schumacher. Fernando Tatis Jr. was the most exciting prospect in San Diego when I was there. Then I saw Jordan Walker. He's pretty dang close to Tatis. He's dang close to being the next Tatis. Great. He does everything the right way. He's a really good kid. Jordan Walker is a special human being. He's as exciting a position player as I have seen in my coaching career. I wasn't surprised when I saw him continue to look like that today. His bat is real. So that means he's overrated in Tanner's eyes and he's not going to get an extension. I mean. Great. It's impressive. Great. I... I, we haven't seen a ton of him in live action just because, like, let's be honest, the, the vast majority of us aren't watching Springfield Cardinals games on a day-to-day basis. What you saw yesterday, they, they say this in scouting a lot. If you see the tools, it means that they have that in their bag. Jordan Walker's tools are real, dude. And if he can put that together at the big league level, all of the things that we've heard about him are 100% on the table. I, I know the power is there. You know the sprint speeds there, which kind of plays into the defense for me. Like, if you've got the speed that Jordan Walker has, you'll figure out how to be an outfielder, and they'll make sure that your defense is up to par. The bigger question is just pitch recognition at the major league level, and are you able to make contact, or are you just the swing and miss and then the power kind of guy? Everything we've been led to believe is the contact is there. So if you're talking that, you're talking five-tool player. And to have Skip comp him to a Fernando Tatis Jr. in terms of excitement And Skip doesn't just throw that out there because he was a part of the Cardinals organization. The man worked with Tatis Jr. in San Diego. That raises the 
excitement level a little bit more for me. I, I will say this because you mentioned something that reminded me of it. I did see yesterday after the home run, someone tweeted out. I can't remember who it was. It's one of the reporters down in uh, Jupiter that's covering the Cardinals saying, you know, he had Walker had struggled in live BP against some Cardinals pitchers. With, Worthy with, with, with Yeah, that's who it was with higher velocity and also guys with more defined breaking stuff. Just saying this because I, it needs to be put out there because I everything was exciting yesterday. What we saw from Jordan Walker, the home run did come off of Johnny Cueto, who yep. does not have good stuff and does not throw with velocity. And it was already down three nothing, giving up a ton of runs. Yeah, so I, it will be interesting to see what he looks like as we get further into spring training against guys with better stuff, better command, and higher velocity. Again, not trying to take anything from yesterday because yesterday was like you said, everything you wanted to see, you saw the tools that were there. But when he starts to see guys with more velocity, it'll be more interesting because the one thing that was impressive in that Cueto home run was he got his hands in quickly on that. I think it was a two-seamer that ran in on his yep. hands, and he was able to drive it. But again, what happens when he sees more velocity, better breaking stuff? We've seen the scouting reports. There seems to be a hole. We had uh, Kyle Reese tell us there's a hole in his swing with, uh, I believe it was breaking balls low and away. We'll see how that goes as we get into spring training. But very, very impressive first start from him. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, Timo Meyer officially off the market. But can the Blues still make a move that improves the team for the future? We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. In or out coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. One four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for in or out. You give us a scenario. We will tell you if we are in or out on it. Let's start with this from the three one four guys in or out. The length of the MLS season will eventually be seen as a negative for soccer in St. Louis because they end up having to go up against the Cardinals during July through October. I don't think it'll be an issue because of the way that the scheduling is. It's once a week. Yeah, that's a good point. If it was something that went up against the Cardinals Sep- like three times a week, maybe then it would be a problem. September, but. October might become the issue because that's that's playoff time for the Cardinals. And it's tough to compete. Even if it's only one day a week, it's tough to compete there. But they'll have their own specific fan base that's I was about not going to gonna back away no matter what. Maybe I should I, I should make this more clear. I think it will make it harder for them to grow to be what some people want soccer to be in St. Louis. I absolutely believe that to be the case. I also think for what is realistic, especially early on with this, I don't think it's going to be a huge issue because the people that are very excited about soccer will be going regardless. And and correct me if I'm wrong, a majority of their games are in the evening like it was this past weekend, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, most are like Saturday night. They'll have probably a couple Sunday afternoon games. good news is that the Saturday night ones, you would hope a majority of those Cardinals games are Saturday afternoon games, but a lot of the times those are evening They'll games. They'll probably be going up against a lot of Cardinals they're games. Gonna have sure. their, they're going to have their own fan base that's not going to be deterred, but September, October is going to be tough because not only do you have Cardinals baseball here, but NFL starts up and everybody's invested in that. And for for the small fan in base... college football, like you're, you're just going up against a lot. For the small fan base that that is into soccer, I would imagine a majority of them are also Blues fans, and they're going to be invested in the start of the Blues season 
season as well. So in future years, that is one thing that I am curious about is when the Blues are good again, what does that look like at the beginning of the season? Because what they could eventually run into is you're going up against the Blues, like late season push at the beginning of the year. Then you get into Cardinals opening day and early season push. And then you're talking about NFL at the end with the Cardinals playoffs. There's a lot going up against MLS. Mm -hmm. That being said, doesn't take away from any of the excitement. I I think it's very real and palpable. The the buzz around city but yeah this is all part of why i've been saying all along i think there will be a very passionate fan base for soccer in st louis i i don't know what that how big that group is i think right now it's probably as big as it's going to be because you have so many people that are not just interested in city but also excited for st louis to have something to rally around But as you get into Cardinal season, yeah, there will be a lot of people that break off. And instead of watching, uh, for example, in early April, Minnesota versus St. Louis, maybe that weekend, I think it's the opening weekend for the Cardinals. They'll be watching the Cardinals opening weekend games. And if they schedule it correctly, because we got a text from the 314 on our Air Comfort Service text line. Y'all are crazy. The days of seeing two games in the city in one day are amazing. Rams, the Blues, Cardinals, Blues preseason. That's a super fun night. That all comes down to scheduling. Do they Mm -hmm. schedule it correctly where the MLS plays a game in the afternoon on a Sunday and a Blues game that night? Or the Cardinals got an afternoon and then the city plays one at night. But the problem is you're scheduling those in advance. It's not like you schedule those when you know what the upcoming season looks like. So one game, for example, like uh, Cardinals opening weekend. Saturday, April 1st, they're playing an afternoon game against Toronto. That night, City plays at home against Minnesota. No issue there. That'll be awesome. That'll be a really cool day downtown. I'm sure there will be a lot of people that go to the Cardinals game, go over to Ballpark Village, and then hang out and uh, before the game starts against Minnesota. That'll be a super cool day. Later on in the season, uh, just as an example, like you've got, I'm sure there's another one that's going to come up as a a conflict potentially of the two being at or downtown at the same time. That'll be less palatable for fans. And there will be some like April 29th, the Cardinals are going up or or playing in LA against the Dodgers at eight o'clock city. SC is playing against Portland at home at seven 30. Be curious to see what the viewership looks like for those two things. And none of this, even if it does mean that there are fewer people that are watching city compared to the Cardinals game, Man, that was always to be expected. This is a Cardinals town. That is no shot against City. That's just the way that it works here in St. Louis. So uh, I think they're going to be super successful, and there will be some really cool days that are possible because of that. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, Nolan Gorman is your starting second baseman before the end of the season. I'll say... Boy, that's tough. I'm going to say I'm in on this because the bat and the offense are going to play. And the power potential that he has might overtake Brennan Donovan's defense at second base. But Brennan Donovan's an on-base kind of guy. It's interesting because Nolan Gorman ties into a couple of different players like a Wanya Pez, maybe a Jordan Walker, maybe a Tyler O'Neill. But Brendan Donovan plays into Tommy Edmond a little bit because if Tommy Edmond becomes the on-base guy, maybe he gets more leadoff opportunities, and then where does Brendan Donovan fall? I'm going to say I'm out on this for now because I think Gorman has a – look, he's been impressive. I mentioned his swing earlier. It looks better. Defensively today, he's made two great plays on the backhand and has shown some range over at second base from what we've seen here in the studio. I'm out, though, because I think he's got a tough – 
tough road to surpass Brendan Donovan because I think the one thing Donovan's got going for him is his on-base percentage, and he's the – you guys will probably disagree with this because you're higher on Newt He's the only true leadoff hitter that the Cardinals have – on the roster that's projected to make the opening day roster. And that's why, and I'm not going to say where he was on my list because we're starting our top 20 Cardinals, I think, what, next week? Later this week. Later this week. Uh, I had Donovan really high on my list because of that, because he is the true only leadoff guy that they have on the roster. I know a lot of people text in and say, oh, Edmund's a leadoff hitter. He's not really. His on-base isn't there. His average is what carries his on-base. he can be a temporary leadoff hitter, but not he, for he the He can be temporary, season. but he's not going to be a guy that you want up there a lot. So he that's can why. off against lefties. I think that's why Donovan will still ultimately win the job and his defense still probably better than Gorman's. Yep. I'm with you guys. I'm out on this. I do not think that he will be your starting second baseman. I think Brendan Donovan is your starting second baseman. And like Tanner, I had Brendan Donovan very high, higher than I expected, honestly, on my 20 most important players for the 2023 season. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. But next, with Timo Meyer officially off the market, Does that mean that the Blues are out on making a move to help their future by the deadline? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think he could do anything this week. I don't think he's getting Meyer. I do think he's going to try on Chikrin if he hasn't already. I do think he's going to try to move one of his defensemen. And I think St. Louis wants to reshape itself, and they have absolutely zero desire to go out and have any kind of long rebuild. You know, he's got a lot of draft picks. He tried to use them to get Meyer. He's got some extra assets now that he didn't have before, and I don't think he's going to be afraid to use them. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts podcast. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But Alex, he mentioned that he he's not sure what the Blues are going to do the rest of this week. There's still potential for them to make some moves. That being said, the Timo Meyer dream is officially dead. New Jersey decided to make the trade as expected, but they did so without getting an extension done for him. Alex, I've seen a lot of reviews on what San Jose was able to get in return. They went the, it's funny that they're from the Bay Area. They went the Oakland A's route where it's about quantity over quality. They got a lot of players, a lot of picks. I don't know that they got anything in particular that you point to, though, and say, oh, yeah, at least they got blank in that deal. I was a little surprised by the return that they were able to get in that. Would you make of Timo Meyer getting dealt at the deadline? And how does that influence what the Blues are able to do the rest of this week? Yeah, it was just a matter of time before New Jersey made that trade. What was surprising was they didn't have to give up Dawson Mercer or that Alexander Holtz, their top prospect and one of the guys that's playing in their top nine. Uh, that Shakar, I forget what his last name is, but the young player that they traded, he was a former first-round pick. I think it was 12th overall. That's going to be a good player for San Jose. I would imagine he was the centerpiece to that deal, and then the rest was just draft picks. But you're right. That was quantity over quality for San Jose, and they got a lot of pieces that are reclamation projects that fit into their timeline of what they feel like this rebuild is going to look like. For the Blues, I, I was a little skeptical it was going to happen. All of the reports, even JR was telling me on Saturday, the Blues did inquire about it, and they did talk to them about making the deal. The problem was you were going to have to probably give up one of your top prospects that you weren't willing to part from and a lot of draft picks and San Jose wasn't interested in your uh, 
two firsts that would have been probably 25 through 32. If you look at the draft pick they got, it was a first round in 2025 from a team that might not be great around that time, and it's top 10 protected. So it was a pipe dream to get Timo Meyer, but you looked at it as that was the start of it. And for the Blues, now I think it's back to the drawing board of, okay, who else is out there that we feel like can do what Timo Meyer would have done? I I would have loved to have Timo Meyer on this team because Timo Meyer was a guy that takes you from disappointing season to a very inspiring outlook for next season. I will be curious to see if he is a long-term devil. This is something that I've got my eye on. Alex is what if they decide they want to move him in the off season? Cause they've got his rights. He's a restricted free agent. And one of the things that you can do in this scenario, if you're the New Jersey devils is you could potentially play out the rest of this off season. You didn't give up your top prospects, as you mentioned, and you could still get a pretty decent return this offseason by somebody else that potentially wants to re-sign Timo Meyer long-term. So I, I'm i not totally sure. Now, it's a glimmer of hope. It's just a glimmer. But I'm not totally sure that door is shut on the Blues. In fact, I actually think it would make more sense, and I've said this all along, to make the move for Timo Meyer in the offseason than it did to make the move now. One, because Timo Meyer makes you better. And I don't know that that's what the what the Blues are in the business of of trying to do right now is making their roster better for the rest of this season. I think they want to make the roster better for 2023 and 2024. The other thing is, if you were to make the move for him now and then you extend him, other teams know you've got to get money off of your books. And when you're in that spot as a GM, you have zero leverage. Every other GM knows what you have to do, and now your assets lose a lot of value. Because you've got to get that money off your books before the start of the next season, and everybody knows it. So you're backed up into a corner, and I don't think that's a spot that Doug Armstrong likes to be in. So maybe this offseason, Timo Meyer becomes a name that we talk about again, especially if New Jersey falls flat. They decide that the fit isn't quite what they were looking for because they didn't get a deal done now. That being said, are there other guys that are available still right now that you think makes sense for the Blues if it's not Timo Meyer? Makes sense, yeah, but not in the same ilk as Timo Meyer. I mean, Timo Meyer would have been a top-line player for you. That's why I brought up the idea of possibly moving Cairo for him, which maybe San Jose wasn't even interested in. I, I mean, available now, like by March 3rd, I think the only one that probably stands out is Brock Besser. And I don't know if Brock Besser falls into the same category because that's $6 million for a guy that at best is a second-line winger for you. Um, the offseason is where it gets interesting. Does Alex DeBrinkett become available? I don't even know if Alex DeBrinkett is a needle for a lot of people. Uh, does Dylan Larkin re-sign with the Detroit Red Wings? That would be one that I'd be curious. And there's always a name that pops up once you hit the offseason and the draft where things didn't work out well and the team's got to move some money and figure out what to do. Uh, like I said when I did my Ferrari 05 a couple of weeks ago, Toronto Maple Leafs are the most intriguing team to me. If if I'm the Blues, I'm keeping a very close eye on them because if they lose the first round, they're moving one of Nylander, Marner. I don't think it would get to an Austin Matthews because that's like the face of your franchise. But one of those two might become available in the offseason. But right now, no. But come post-playoffs, when a team gets bounced in the first round and they don't live up to the expectations, that's when, if you're Doug Armstrong, you pounce with potentially two, three first-round picks, a couple of prospects, and maybe somebody off of your roster that you feel like makes a needs a change of scenery. JR had a piece earlier today over on The Athletic on the 12 players that the Blues could add to their core now that Timo Meyer is off the market. 
Now, some of these, I want to say on the front end, especially at the top of the list, they're guys that are unlikely to be traded at the deadline and then might not even be traded as we get into the offseason or sign elsewhere in the offseason. The first name that he brought up is the name that everybody has to bring up right now because of how special he is as a player into the season that he's putting together. That's David Posternock. I mentioned this to you guys in the office. If the Blues were able to sign David Posternock and it again, front end, I don't think they're going to. I think that Boston's going to find a way to make this thing work and they'll give him the contract that he deserves, which is going to be an outrageous contract given the season that he's had. If they were able to sign him, then I think that you figure out whatever it is that you have to do. If that includes trading Jordan Cairo, I have been opposed to that in just about every scenario other than in return for Matthew Kachuk. I would at least consider it in that regard where you added David Posternock, you've traded Jordan Cairo now to be able to get assets in return, and maybe you're able to make the money work that way. That's somebody that obviously every team should be interested in. Alex DeBrinkett was listed on this. Alex, we've talked about him. I just don't know if that's a guy that I'm particularly interested in. One player that he did bring up, and we've talked about him a little bit, but I think it's somebody that we'll talk about more as we get closer to the offseason is Dylan Larkin. I I really like Dylan Larkin, man. And I think that Detroit should and probably will get something done with him. But if they're not able to, I think he's going to be the guy that I pound the table for in the offseason. He's a center right now. I'm not sure that you have a legitimate number one center. I think he is that for any team, uh, including Detroit, if they wanted to keep him, but certainly here in St. Louis. If you added him, I think you could just move Shin over to the wing, and I think your top six starts to look pretty good again. Dylan Larkin's the guy on this list that stands out probably the most to me. I don't think he's a deadline deal, though. That would be more in the offseason. Yeah, and Detroit's going to, I mean, they're going to do everything they can to re-sign him, and it's going to be tough for him to hit free agency because uh, he's from Michigan. He's playing for his hometown team, but maybe he, he is very intriguing um, because he fills a lot of your voids because he's a center. And honestly, it's something that I'm a little bit of question about of what your center looks like, uh, even with Shannon Thomas. Um, he's got the goal scoring ability and he fits into that time frame as your players. Uh, another player with Detroit that could be interesting is Tyler Bertuzzi had a 30 goal season last year. Only problem is he's 28 years old. Is that too old in Doug Armstrong's eyes? I'm not sure. Uh, they JR listed another player from Philadelphia, Travis Konechny, uh, good player. Undersized you brought him up before. Yeah, undersized player, five foot ten, five foot eleven, I think. But I, I mean, he's got twenty five goal potential in his game. Uh, the other one that Jared brought up, which which I find intriguing, I don't know how you do it, is Clayton Keller, uh, the St. Louis native with the Arizona Coyotes. Is there a deal to be made with Keller and Chikrin? I think there is, but you're probably going to have to cough up more than you want, which is why it gets a little interesting there. I, so I mean, here's a follow up to that: Is Keller a better player than Jordan Kyra? I think they're very similar with a little bit more upside. In Kyrie, right? I personally would say Keller, but I've only said that because Keller's been in the league a lot longer than Kyrie. I've seen a little bit more defensive play in Clayton Keller, and it's, I mean, it's okay. It's not great. Probably a little bit better than Jordan Kyrie. And I mean, we've all seen the pure goal scoring ability from Clayton Keller. The goal he scored against the Blues where he was like lateral to the goal, like he's got sniper mentality there. But. Does he fit into the system like Jordan Cairo does? So I would say they're pretty similar with a slight edge to Clayton Keller just because he's been in the league longer. Interesting. I, I think I would lean towards um, Jordan Cairo. Obviously, Keller has the, the hometown side of things here as well. 
Um, I, I, I would lean towards Kairu. I, I would prefer to have him. I think his upside is a legit like 90 to 100 point type of player, um, especially with the, create, the creation ability that he has. We haven't seen it as much this season as we did last year, but I do still think he has that kind of upside. I would keep him, but every all roads, the reason why I bring all of this up from JR's piece, if the Blues are going to make a significant move of adding something that helps them right now at the deadline, I think it comes back to the name that we've been talking about for two years, and it's Jacob Chikrin. I don't think they're going to make the move, but if they were to make one, I think it's him. Yeah. I, I It just makes the most sense, but if you're adding Jacob Chikrin, you're moving somebody off of your defensive side off of your roster, and can you pull both of those off at the deadline? Because like you said, I don't you, think so. you add Chikrin, teams are going to hold your ransom because they know you got to move one of those defensemen off of your roster. Yeah, I, I think it comes back to the sometimes the simplest answer is the... The correct one. I think the Blues are going to make some serious moves, but I think they're happening in the offseason. I think this all sets up for Doug Armstrong to really retool his roster as we get into the offseason. I do wonder, though, if they can do both at the deadline. It's a lot of work, but uh, you've added a lot to your arsenal. And if there is intrigue or interest in your defensemen, whether it's Pareko or Krug, if you pull that off, you could see the same deal taking place to trade that and bring in Jacob Chikrin on March 3rd. And one other question for you. As we're talking about what teams are doing, especially in the Central Division, leading into the trade deadline, Arizona selling off everything. Uh, in JR's piece, half of Arizona's team is listed as potentially yeah. available at the deadline. Or Coy- Coyotes 2.0. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, Nick Schmaltz, if the Blues acquire him, they're just doing that solely off of the fact that he scores against you every time you play against him. Any relation to Jordan? Yeah, it's his brother. Interesting. Uh, Chicago, obviously in a full-blown rebuild right now. They're oh, yeah. likely going to be selling off Patrick Kane at the deadline. Nashville just, man, their team is getting blown up. Man, if they weren't in the same division as you, I, I would bring up Philip Forsberg. I still think you should bring up Philip Forsberg. I don't in Nashville. Nashville, it's the same mentality that I would imagine John Mozeliak has. You're going to give up so much and have to see the same players for four times a year. I would bring up a lot of the players on Nashville. I like that. Roman Yossi's a damn good player. They're going into full blown rebuild in a way that we haven't really seen from them. They've done retools. They've Mm -hmm. never really done this rebuild this way recently, at least. Um, So that's three teams in your own division that are going to be bottom dwellers, at least for the foreseeable future. Alex, how much, if you're Doug Armstrong, does that influence what you want to do? Because now you're basically competing with four other teams in your division for three spots in the playoffs next year. Does that change anything for you? Does it does it influence your output or outlook on your team? I think it makes him more aggressive to the point of what he's trying to accomplish of making this thing last like a year. Because if you're taking all of those teams out of it, they're three to five years away from being back to competitive level. But Colorado is still probably the goat of this division. Dallas is a sleeping giant. Uh, I'm still a little skeptical with them, but they've got the young defensive core. They've got the young weapon and Jason Robertson, and they've got a good group of players around. Minnesota is kind of in this in-between until some of their salary cap stuff figures out. And Winnipeg's got the best goaltender in the National Hockey or second best goaltender in the National Hockey League in Connor Hellebuck. So, it, it, it creates the opportunity if you're Doug Armstrong to say, if we're aggressive and do this the right way, next season we're back in the playoffs with the potential to be one of the competitive teams in the Western Conference in two to three years, rather than wait it out because then you're waiting around for Nashville to get better and Arizona to get better and Chicago to get better. 
you also have to take into consideration if you're Doug the Pacific because sure. Vegas is always dominant. LA's about to be a dominant force. Seattle's right there. Edmonton's right there. So uh, that being said, though. We don't know what the situation looks like in Calgary moving forward. Cal- I would yeah. say that Vancouver is trying to blow this thing up right now. We yep. just saw San Jose blow it up. Anaheim is as bad as you're going to get in the NHL right now. So it, really, in the in the Western Conference, it is very possible, possible that next year you will go into the season thinking nine teams are trying to win. Nine teams. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Go, going back to the Timo Meyer conversation, and, and I only bring this up because it just popped in my head. Keep it on the Florida Panthers. Sam Reinhardt is a very intriguing name if you're Doug Armstrong. If you could get well, yeah. that. I mean, he's 24 years old <laughs> and he just had like an 80-point season a couple of years ago, if not last season. So if Florida is underperforming, I don't know what Florida would want. Cap space is probably the biggest thing that they Matthew need. you could chuck. Can we talk? Um, you're a year too late. Or all you had to do is uh, trade away a player who's uh, underperforming this season. Breako. Coming up in 15 minutes, the pitch clock is getting a lot of headlines coming off of the weekend. Is it having unintended consequences and are there tweaks that need to be made before we get into the regular season? We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. The junk drawer is coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Inside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Uh, T-Bone, have you ever thought about like how long you're going to live because you're shorter? On the shorter end of the spectrum? Have I thought about how long I'm going to live? Yes. Have I thought of it because of my height? No. Damn. And I'm I'm back my man just slap. came out of the turnbuckle swinging. Well, we're diving into the junk drawer, and sometimes we've well, got we to talk gotta, about height. Yeah, we don't got to bring me into the conversation, though. Weird. Just came say out it. swinging. I dare you to say I mean, you snack are, size. That's enough. You're not even snack size. You're mini size. You're like those Snicker bars that hey, they hand out on Halloween. That's okay. We know. We all know in this room. Everybody likes the mini size better. That, that's totally, totally fair. And Do apparently, according yeah. to a new research study that was put out by CNBC, Tanner has a better chance to live longer because he is Let's on go. the shorter Do side. Do they know that things. he does not drink water? Well, that is the no. other thing that I need to add in. You this. are I, uh, <laughs> petite. I so he's see. your head. <laughs> I, that was cruel. I, I did what? see a study like last week that was like, if you don't drink X amount of water, it brings your lifespan down like two, three years. Yeah, so, you're, yeah, I, you're done. I'm probably offsetting. You're done. Yeah. Your idea of water is that there's water in alcohol and coffee, <laughs> mostly coffee over uh, of. The 2,500 Finnish athletes that were involved in this study. Finnish athletes? Mm -hmm. From Finland. uh, Those that were shorter ended up living on average about two years longer than their taller counterparts. They say that the biological reason for this is likely that when you are taller, you need more cell replication to fill out in your body, and this can exhaust you faster, which results in a shorter lifespan. Yeah, but what's the height-to-weight ratio there? Whoa, whoa. No, I'm asking about the Finland people. I'm not asking about you. I'm asking what the height-to-weight ratio is. Are these guys, like, 
thin or are they a little thicker? That might be the meanest thing you've ever said well, to me. I didn't say it to you. you I wasn't even right. looking at you. You looked at me. Okay. I wasn't even looking there. There was eye contact. Just, the, the line where it said that, you know, they're able to do things a little bit easier. Well, what if they're overweight? Well, they were part of the army, so okay. I don't think that that was Thank the you case. for the answer. Um, and it was... There was also people that were cross-country skiers, the men that were okay. cross-country so skiers. So these dudes were in shape. Uh, they were shorter by an average of six inches than their basketball-playing counterparts, and they lived an average of six years longer than their basketball-playing counterparts. So Tanner... I'm great for you, Tanner. I'm sorry. <laughs> former, former tennis player who says that he could beat the best in the world at ping pong. We all, we all saw that beer mile. Uh, he, Not a real according sport. to this study, could live six years longer than LeBron James. Basically yeah. is what they're saying. Ipso facto, Bob's your uncle. Tanner's going to live six years longer than LeBron. And I it would doesn't put, matter about your build. I would put my entire life that that does not take place. I'll live longer than Tebow, does, does this study make yeah. you feel better about your lifespan? Yeah, absolutely. Does you the did. conversation with BK and I make you feel better about your lifespan? <laughs> no, you're being kind of a word I can't say on air. I, uh... Look, just because I'm not showing miserable. up in the... Miserable. Yeah. Is what yeah. Oh, just, that doesn't start just, with a D, so... Just because I didn't show up in the best shape of my life for camp does mean I'm not going to live longer, okay? Huh? I'm starting to train again for a half marathon. <laughs> does that mean that I'm going to live longer? You guys cool. Think? No, I, it might cut off a year. Okay. You need to have hot dog consumption, and you have to have... What would be, like, if you were to write a study on... Your life motto of oh. how to live longer. What would it include? Like, what would be? You know, I'm, I'm, doing a, I'm doing a half marathon training guide right now, where okay. it has written in stone for me every day. Have this Christmas is what you music on the running. iPod when you take your daily walks. Yeah. yeah what would T Bones like? The five steps to living longer. The it would five include steps. What? Hot T Bones three. How to live longer. Hot dogs once a week. Okay. Yeah. Just well, only really- one. No, no, multiple hot dogs. You just said once a week. In a week, just for dinner once a week, yeah. if you know what I'm my, saying. Come my, on, man. Keep up. My, you, do, you know what? He eats one it, hot dog a week. If you do the list wrong, man, you're not gonna, it's not going to benefit he you, okay? He has one hot dog in a sitting. Go for three-mile walks. Really kind of offsets the hot dogs and also clears the mind. Great for that, along with the Christmas music. Uh, and then the third one would be make sure to have about two to three beers at night and smoke a cigar once a month. Yeah, yeah I think that would be You're dead before you're 40. Three. No, nah, I mean, I'm I'm kicking strong, man. I've got an idea for our show. Somebody Is it on a the life, text life expectancy test. No, Russian somebody, roulette. No. <laughs> somebody on the text line. Some days I wonder. Somebody on the text line from the six three six says, "I would kick Tanner's ass at ping pong." Mm. No I shot. think this Became summer. Ferrario Invitational. Well, Ooh, just a T Bone like Invitational. I don't need to be a part of this. No, we, we play we ping pong. Neither of us need to be that involved was a in this. Nightmare. That was the equivalent of your sir. You're sorry. You're <laughs> Eventually, we just both decided, yeah, this isn't worth it. We did the equivalent of when you bowl and you just say, we probably need the bumpers. Yeah. So <laughs> T-Bone says that he's very good at it. No, he says he's great. Better than the Olympians. I yeah. think that what we should do is hold a tournament with all of our listeners and the winner of that tournament gets to face T-Bone head to head. I like that. Like he's the final boss in yeah. Mortal Kombat. Yeah. I like it. Finish him. I think we could make this happen. We got to figure out a time. God, I place. would love Tanner just to be embarrassed. And we'll have. And do we do like a five dollar charge so we can donate to charity? I think we could do something like the that. The charity is not your hot dog consumption. And I think you've got to be I under six foot. Charity. <laughs> oh, so it's a, it's a tiny tournament. <laughs> oh, that's, <Okay. laughs> that's just not 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 cool. <laughs> if you're under six foot, 
Am I wrong? Just cruel. I I think that we should get rid of the height requirement. Um, but I, I think we should have that for T Bone. I think we should have him going up against our listeners in, in, in ping pong. I'm I think it'd be fun. What, what happens when you get embarrassed in front of everybody? Th- that is what I'm expecting. Me too. That's what I'm honest. asking. That's why I'm asking. Alongside Alex Ferrario and happen. Tanner Hendrickson. Who believes that he is the best ping pong player dog. in the world? I think we should have a hot dog eating contest no, with dude, Tanner. Hey, part of the T Bone Three to live longer isn't to just can inhale those things, okay, man? You got to take your you time. You got to be delicate and, re- and enjoy that hot yeah, dog. Yeah, yeah. Slow some ketchup, play it, right? some mustard, some relish on there. You don't want to be inhaling them like dipping them in water, like Joey Chestnut. That guy not going to live slow longer. Slow play it, right? Take yeah. a bite and just let it. Yeah, yeah. You know where you eat a lot of hot dogs at a baseball game. But you're going to have less time to do so with this pitch clock. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, the pitch clock is officially a thing in Major League Baseball. And over the weekend, it certainly became a headline. The Braves and Red Sox ended a game with a walk-off quote-unquote clock violation. And then you also had another one where there was a hitter issue, where there was a strike that was given. Uh, Alex, we're going to see some of this stuff as we go through spring training. There's going to be some issues that arise as we try to navigate what this all looks like for Major League Baseball. That being said, it is having the intended consequences. Last year, Major League Baseball games in spring training took an average of three hours to play. So far this year, in the same amount of time, They've taken about two and a half hours. You've cut almost 30 minutes of game time off of these games. Now, I don't know watching the games if I notice a significant difference in terms of like what it feels like the pace is. But I also don't really notice any moments where it feels like the game's dragging the way that we've seen in years past. And I think that's the goal for Major League Baseball. I was talking to my wife about this yesterday because she noticed the clock for the first time. And she said, like, is this something that you think was necessary? And I was like, honestly, for 90 percent of the game, no. The problem is baseball is 10% of these games where it gets so bogged down. For example, when Pedro Baez is out there pitching or Giovanni Gallegos for the Cardinals is out there pitching, it just feels like it takes forever. And to eliminate those moments, I think you almost have to make it a thing where it is consistently there throughout the game. And so, Alex, as you're watching over the weekend, we get our first true experience with this. What was your impression of the early takeaways from this pitch clock i loved it and i i didn't really notice it that much but the pace i just i thoroughly enjoyed you didn't see as much of the batters stepping out and taking this you know five or six steps towards their dugout and talking with people and readjusting everything it was a matter of step out step back in the pitcher has to plus the competitiveness i liked with it as well like there's not a whole lot of time for the pitcher to go back and forth and do the whole wind up and get set it's just a matter of balls back to you look in get the sign and go I like that. I like the pace. I like the competitiveness. It creates a lot more balls in play and less of this standing around and waiting for things to happen. So I didn't notice it a whole lot by Sunday, but in Saturday's game watching, and it's like, man, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And the fact that it's two and a half hours and you're shaving 30 minutes off of a game, that's big for a lot of people. 
Yeah, I, I really liked it. Now, I, I did feel like I could tell that the game was sped up because I didn't feel as much downtime. And I, I don't mind that because I, I'm excited that it's going to be about two and a half hours long as what baseball games are going to be. So I didn't really mind that aspect of it. I, I do think they need to work on kind of – and they're they're fine-tuning this here in spring training, making sure everybody's on the same page. But I don't think you need a pitch clock violation at the beginning of an inning. We saw that a couple of times in yesterday's game. But other than that, that was really the only issue I had with the pitch clock. I I like it. I liked it when I saw it in the minor leagues last year. And I'm all for trying to pick up the pace of the game. We haven't seen velocity take a major dip in terms of when guys have been working through. I mean, Palante sat at 96-97 and up to today. I think that was always uh, something that people said was going to happen. That was never likely to happen. There was zero research that indicated it took place down in the minor leagues. So I'm glad to see it hasn't had that impact and to your point Alex I I just like the fact of the matter that it's mostly now okay get the ball and go there's not a lot of just walking around the mound you don't see batters just stepping out that downtime does feel like it's been significantly cut down because I remember yesterday I was multitasking I had the game on on my television I was doing some research on my computer and I like looked up and I had missed like a bat and a batter and a half and I was like oh that's nice because typically I miss like a pitch so I'm all in favor of the pitch clock is it too fast because we do have some texters, and I've seen this elsewhere as well, that say, hey, I, I would like it to be about five seconds longer. Like instead of a, what is a 15-second pitch yeah. clock, uh, maybe bump that up to 20. Do, do you guys think that there is some truth to that? No. Is that something that we should look at during spring training of saying, okay, we saw it. We saw what it looks like with this clock. Maybe let's add a little bit more time to it. No, I think you could have gone the opposite way. We, if you would have done it, you started at 20 and shaved down to 15 if it felt like it was still too long because now it's going to feel like you've got all the time in the world. I, I personally, I mean, we've seen a couple of of problems with it, like you mentioned with the Red Sox game and a couple of games that ended with it. But, I, I mean, we're watching this game right now on ESPN and, and Chris Stratton, I mean, he's getting with like five seconds left to go. So, I mean, if it was where you were seeing a ton of issues in the first couple of games, then I can understand it. But you're really not seeing that much of it. The pitchers understand it. The batters understand it. 15 seconds is plenty of time. Five seconds isn't going to make that much of a difference. See, I I would like to see a little bit more time to it because I do think it is just a little bit fast. But I wouldn't go five seconds. I would probably go like two to three just another add another split second in there. I would say about 17, 18 seems about right. And then with runners on, I probably would go an extra 5 to 25. I think the issue I, I've i seen early on here with that kind of pace that we're talking about is there have been a couple of times where I can see a pitcher's kind of out of sorts because he can't get on the same page yeah. with his catcher. And I don't like that a pitcher should be punished for that because it, it is a, you know, one pitch could determine an outcome of a game. So I, I do think a little bit more time would be better but I, I don't mind sticking with 15 and end up doing it. I just think 17 to 18 is kind of that sweet spot when there's nobody on base. I think I like it the way that it is right now. And if we find out, whether it's midway through the season or after this year, that it's it's a little too quick, depending on what the players say, um, then I think you can make an adjustment either in the offseason or as we get closer to uh, the all-star break. The other question that I had on this, in uh, a potential unintended consequence of it, is there have been already a couple of games that have been impacted late, especially the Braves-Red Sox game, which ended in a situation where nobody totally knew what was going on in the moment, and then it ends up being a walk-off clock violation. I don't think that's what baseball wants. That's it, it's, it's an unintended consequence to a rule that was put in place with good intentions. Is there any way to change that? Is there a way to correct it late in a game to make sure that you don't win or lose based on a clock violation? Or is that just something that we've got to live with? 
in these spots. I mean, the only way I would say is more communication from the umpire. I mean, shouldn't the umpire be communicating a little bit more about the situation on hand rather than let it just play itself out and then say, oh, that's penalty and the game's over? I mean, that's th- those are the rules, though. I mean, what do you what do you add that's extra? I, I mean, I don't really feel like we should baby that. I mean, if you're not, you know what the rules are. If, you, if you're not following them, then that's the consequences of it. See, I, I think where this gets interesting, and it's not so much the regular season, but what happens in the postseason. Yeah. And that's where, and honestly, I, I'm not saying I would want to see like walk-off pitch clock violation in the regular season. I really wouldn't want to see it in the postseason. Maybe it comes down to maybe the ninth inning is the one that you just take away the pitch clock. The problem is that's typically where the game gets bogged down. I, I know, but, but if you speed up the game innings one through eight, I, I think you can have a slow inning. And the ninth inning is usually, not usually, is the exciting part of baseball where you're getting that excitement to where it's, okay, we're down to the wire. You've got three out. Can you find a way to muster a run? And I, I think that's something you would almost have to experiment with in spring training and see how it works out. Maybe it does slow down the game to where it ends up it's a – 30-minute ending, and you say, okay, well, that's not worth it. we got to go to the pitch clock. Or maybe it is what I'm saying where you increase the time on the pitch clock in the ninth inning because there is so much more on the line in a regular season and postseason game. But I I don't want to see a game end on a pitch clock violation. I don't want to see a guy strike out because of that. I don't want to see a guy get on base with a walk in the ninth inning. If it's like the fourth or fifth inning, okay, I can survive with one of those. When it's the ninth inning and the game is on the line and it's a close game and my opinion, every game matters in the regular season, and in the playoffs especially, it'll be crucial. I don't want to see it go that way. I think you almost have to have something to where it's like, okay, in the ninth inning, it's going to be a different set of rules, kind of like instant replay in football. In the last two minutes, it's booth reviews that only there are no coaches challenges. So I guess maybe this is another question to add. Do you just get rid of the clock in the postseason? I wouldn't because the postseason games are all – if games are already long in the regular season, and I know we say that the postseason's – Fun no matter what. I do think postseason baseball was too slow. And it, it was games were almost three and a half to four hours long. And even if it is the postseason, a game shouldn't I know everything's more ramped up because of it. It shouldn't be that way. It it shouldn't be that way. There should be more brisk pace of play. Only reason I bring it up is because if if you have the rule, I think you have it. And so like it, the, the way that I view this is if you're a closer one of the things that you now have to deal with is with the game on the line, you've got to be ready to pitch. And if you're a player that is in that batter's box, when the game is on the line, you've got to be ready to hit. These are the rules. It's the old mantra of if you tell me the rules, I'll play the game. And they know the rules. They're getting time right now in spring training. They will continue to have time during the regular season to be able to adjust to them. Is it going to be a big adjustment? Yeah, I saw Giovanni Gallegos, I think it was last week, give a statement to uh, some of the reporters down there in Jupiter when he said, hey, listen, this is this is a significant adjust- adjustment for me, and it's been difficult. And he's right. <laughs> it's If you do anything at a slow pace and then suddenly they tell you by rule, you have to speed up the pace at which you are working that's tough. It can be very difficult, but it's part of your new job. This is in your job description now. And so for a lot of these guys, I I think they will be able to adjust. There will be moments where I, I guarantee you there will be a game. I don't know when it's going to happen, but there will be a game early in the season where everybody gets upset at the new rules because they had a hand in determining the outcome of a game. If we're signing up for this, that is part of it. And we got to acknowledge it up front. And that's kind of where I'm at. You will not find me complaining at the end of the season or after a game if that happens because you didn't follow the rules. You were given these rules. You had all of spring training to figure it out. This was something that you agreed upon when you guys got back to play. So 
if you don't follow them and that's the repercussions of a game, well, that's on you rather than the rules and complaining about it. And, and I get that. I, I totally do. I, I was just kind of throwing it out there of how you could change it to where you don't have that outcome because I, I understand that's like saying, you know, you have to learn how the officials are going to call it in football. Are they going to be more lenient? Or are they going to call it by the book? Same with basketball. So on the I, plus side, at least we don't complain about any of that in football. Yeah. Like it, Tanner, a bad never. call potentially I, or a, a good call ending a game. Yeah, I, that would never I'm be complained about by we anybody. We always complain about the right call, don't we, Tanner? <laughs> Philly got robbed of a Super Bowl. You're right. Uh, but no, I, I totally get it. If you if you decide to go down this route, I get it. If you wanted to make a change and add just a couple seconds for the eighth or ninth inning and or just the ninth inning or get rid of the clock altogether in the ninth inning, I would understand that too. But I, I don't want to sit up here and say like, oh yeah, okay, well we gotta make these massive changes because now the ninth inning is gonna be ruined. No, but I I really don't want to see a game end that way. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Doug Armstrong's fire sale appears, at least for the moment, to be mostly complete. Traded Vladimir Tarasenko, Nico Mikola, Ryan O'Reilly, Nola Chari, and Ivan Barbashev. How do you feel about the return that he was able to get back for those five players? We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. NFL Quick Hitters coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters in 10 minutes. How did Doug Armstrong do with the return that he was able to get in the Blues fire sale as we approach the trade deadline? It is officially deadline week. But right now, some NFL quick hitters. Tanner, we got to start with your Rams. They they move? One of the biggest team or biggest storylines right now in the NFL. They officially cut Bobby Wagner. Now they tried to sell it as a, oh, this is a mutual parting of ways. Okay, sure. Hmm. He did not waive his guarantees. He's getting all of that money that he has had owed, owed to him, and you guys are moving on, otherwise known as a release. So if you want to call it a mutual parting always, cool. That's not what this is. Way to go, Rams. And over the weekend, it came out that it is, quote, very likely that Jalen Ramsey is going to be traded. Tanner, everything that I've heard is that your Rams are trying to compete this year, but so far the moves that they're likely to make seem to be signaling the opposite. How do I square those? To be honest with you, I don't know because I don't know what they're doing. Because I thought, now I thought Tearing there was a, down. I thought there was a chance that they were going to move on from one of Wagner or Ramsey to try and save some cap space. Because I thought both would have a trade market, and it sounds like Ramsey does have a market. I was shocked that they cut Bobby Wagner because he was arguably one of their best players on defense last year. I mean, he had 140 uh, tackles last year, and he was great for them as a leader too. So I was shocked by the cut there. They didn't really save that much in the cap space by doing so. Ramsey's going to be dealt, and I read this morning there's a chance that they may be looking to cut Leonard Floyd as well. So I don't know what they're necessarily doing. Everything that I've heard when I've listened to podcasts that cover the Rams was that they're going to be aggressive this offseason and they were going to be adding to the defense. So I, I don't fully understand. I, I'm wondering if this is just kind of, okay, let's see if we get blown away by an offer on Ramsey. If not, we'll hold on to him because everything it sounds like is that they want to add another edge rusher and also kind of retool the offensive line and add another wide receiver. I, I don't know. I, I'm surprised by the – I was really surprised by the cut of Wagner, and I'm still surprised that they're more than likely going to be trading Jalen Ramsey. Add another receiver on top of throwing all the money that you did at Allen Robinson this past offseason. Oh, Man, the Rams are run well. 
I really wanted the Chiefs to get Allen Robinson. He, I, I thought it was a great signing when they made the move, and it just has not. In fact, not only has it not worked, it's been one of the worst signings in the last like five years in the NFL. He was a complete non-factor well, for that offense. I mean, he's partially a reason why you just had to cut one of your best defenders this season. Yep. And while you're trading away the other one because you, you're spending too much money on a wide receiver core. I would be curious to see where Jalen Ramsey ends up going. I don't know just where say he's going to go. The Chiefs. I don't think that they can make it work money wise because he's going to want a new contract. I would guess wherever he ends up yeah. and you're probably going to, I don't know if a first round pick, but definitely a second I would think is going to go in return for him. Someone bought it, brought up Detroit. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Somebody like that. That's not paying a ton of money for their quarterback. That's on the cusp of potentially making a big run. I, I think they would like to get Man, him in maybe the AFC. Seattle, maybe Jacksonville. You know, I don't, I don't think would he going back to Jacksonville the division. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, he wouldn't go I back just to Jacksonville. Had a total brain fart moment on yeah. the uh, on the air. Yeah, no, that's not happening. I could see Seattle doing that. Pete Carroll loves the run game and he loves defense. You know what? I would not oh, totally rule out. This is a Bill Belichick move. New England. Yeah, that's a Bill Belichick it, move. It feels very Bill Belichicky to oh. go out there and be like, you know what? We're going to go get the next iteration of Darrell Revis or. Uh, they did this with Stefan Gilmore in his prime where they paid him a boatload of money. And people were like, man, is that is that a Belichick move? Yeah. Yeah. Because he was awesome. He's a great corner and his scheme is at his best when they've got a legit number one corner available to them. Ty Law was that early on that. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's probably going to be like at the spot. That feels like the spot. You know who else could be interesting on this one is Pittsburgh. They've got a great like defense already. Hmm. They've got a rookie quarterback or a guy on a rookie deal. Maybe that was going to be a that's going to be a rude wake up for Jalen Ramsey going from Jacksonville, L.A. Welcome to New England, where you know, it's cold 24 seven. You know who else could make some sense in this regard? And now I don't think they could give him a new deal because they wouldn't be able to push the guarantees. But if they did it for like a year or two, it's Philly. They make weird yeah. stuff possible because of the way that they're able to manipulate their cap. They've got a decent amount of free agents going into the offseason, especially on that D line. Maybe they repurpose that money instead of being in their D line to a corner. Could see Tampa doing it too. We've got Slay already, but maybe that's something that they look into this year. Uh, all right. The Bears have the number one overall pick. We've had a lot of conversations on what you do with that pick. ESPN.com, Adam Schefter specifically, reported earlier today that they are, quote, leaning toward moving that pick, end quote, which is what we all expected to be uh, to happen. Who do you think is most likely to trade up? If you had to make your claim today on this team being the one that you would bet on to move up to the number one overall pick, who would it be? I think mine would be the Colts. Unless the Colts feel comfortable with whomever they think is going to fall to them. They need a quarterback desperately. They and feel like the team that's the most highly motivated to go get yeah, their guy. But, but I, I cause say, they've got an owner that's motivated and that's really what makes these deals possible. But I say, do they, do they trust who's available to them at four? Because somebody moves up to get the first overall pick. They're taking a quarterback. You know, Texans are taking a quarterback is Indy comfortable with Will Levis. Because if that's the case, maybe they don't trade. The, the stock and moving up and they just stay at four because Arizona's not going to be taking it. So they feel like the team for me, but it would not surprise me if, if Detroit or Seattle do it. Indy was the first one for me, but just to go different because I, they had all the factors that were in it for me. And you said one of BK was a motor, uh, owner that's motivated, especially when he came out in that press conference, like that kid from Alabama, yeah. he's pretty good. Uh, the other one that I would throw in here because they've got a motivated owner, new head coaching change. And they're a team that wants to be on the up and coming 
would be Carolina. I, I could see where Carolina gets super aggressive, makes that kind of trade. They go get the quarterback. They've got a decent defense already. And if they think that Frank Reich's the guy that can take, say, Bryce Young to the next level, then I, I could easily see where they trade up from nine from nine and go get their guy. I could see that. Another team, a lot of these are really difficult to, to accomplish because you would have to include future firsts for teams that don't have multiple picks this year. Like Houston's the easiest. They've got two first round picks, one at number two overall, the other at number 12 overall. You package those together. And if you're Chicago, you're like, sweet, this is perfect yeah, for but us. If I'm Houston, I wouldn't do that. I mean, unless they've got one quarterback that they like above the rest. Yeah. If they if they see like Bryce Young as clearly being better than the rest of the class, you make the move because getting your guy is is worth it. Could be wrong, but if that guy ends up working out, it doesn't matter how much you gave up for him. It'll end up being worth it. I, Carolina makes a ton of sense. Another one that I would bring up is Las Vegas. I don't know what their plan is. If they get Aaron Rodgers, of course, this is all null and void. If they're not able to get Rodgers... You moved on from Derek Carr. You've got a decent team. You're competing in the AFC West where everybody else has their quarterback, even though everybody's low right now on Russell Wilson. At least they know who their quarterback is. Vegas is the one team in that division that doesn't. You're probably pretty motivated to figure that out, I would imagine. They've got the seventh overall pick. They could make this work if they're willing to include a bunch of other assets. Uh, Vegas is one that I would keep an eye on that isn't getting talked about a ton that could potentially be motivated to move up. I I like that one, especially because I think it was last week their GM was like, hey, we don't know who our quarterback is, and and that's not a comfortable feeling. Uh, The other team that I thought of while you were saying that, and they're right above them in the draft order, or or, excuse me, they're right below them, is Atlanta. I I don't know if they would do it because I don't know if they'd give up the capital. I would love to see them do it. But I I think they could do it. If they miss out on Lamar, who we've said makes a ton of sense for them, They've got pieces to where if you bring in a young quarterback, Bryce Young, and put him with Kyle Pitts, Drake London, I there's a chance if Young's what we think at number one overall, you could be talking about a playoff team and how bad that division is. Okay, as we continue talking about the NFL draft, NFL scouting combine is this week, ladies and gentlemen, and it is a big week for measurement season. Uh, who's got the tiniest hands? Bryce Young, dude, he is going to be front and center. There was he's, a report. So he's not throwing at Combine, though, is he? I'm not sure. The only thing he's that matters for him at, his at Alabama, I thought. Yeah. The only thing that matters for him this weekend is what are his measurements. Everybody knows he can throw. Everybody knows that he's a very good football player. And whether you like this or not, and I get it on either perspective, honestly, how tall he is, how big he is, is going to matter to teams. There was a report over the weekend that he's likely to come in at roughly 5'10 and a half. Dude, that is really short, like really short for an NFL uh, caliber quarterback. I was listening to Daniel Jeremiah over the weekend on his podcast. He works for NFL.com, NFL Network. He said he expects him to be right around 200 pounds. That's bigger than a lot of people expected. If he is 5'10 and a half and about 200 pounds, what do you guys think that means for his draft stock? Especially when you keep in the back of your mind, CJ Stroud's expected to be about 6'4, 220. I think it dips a Will Levis, 6'3, 230. And Anthony Richardson is a hoss and is expected to come in at roughly 6'4", 240 and run a 4'5". I, I, th- I think it dips because I, I think if all of those go the opposite direction he's hoping, I think C.J. Stroud becomes the sexiest available quarterback. I think Anthony Richardson might be the number one pick, guys. Oh, bust. But, well, she, oh, God. He's, think, think about this for a second. That's a terrible idea. 6'4", 240 pounds, runs a 4'540". And he is apparently going to be throwing at the NFL combine. And he has a cannon. He has the strongest arm by far. 
in this year's uh, NFL draft among the quarterbacks. You put that and you, if I was his agent, I would say stand next to Bryce Young as often as you possibly can this weekend or this week, because you're going to look like a monster compared to him. And whether we want to think that that matters or not, it does to NFL general managers. I promise you. Yeah. I heard uh, it's been a couple of weeks now because I heard it on national ESPN radio while I was driving to a play-by-play event. And I heard uh, Todd, I think it was Todd McShay say, if Bryce Young can get to like 200 to 205 in his weight, then he might be able to kind of stave off some of those critics of his height. But if not, yeah, I think he'll be really hurt. I think the 200 to 205, he can get to that range. I don't think it'll hurt as bad because some of the question marks around him, not only just his size, but his weight, because how will he fare when he gets hit by a 365-pound defensive lineman? The binge-eating cheat days are about to kick in heavily for Bryce Young. Dude, he's going to be like 90% water at the NFL Combine. He's going to be like a a boxer or wrestler that's got to like (laughs) drop weight, only he's like, I got to gain it, boys. Somebody from the 636 says, guys, do you think that the top players ever fluctuate their weight for the Combine to drop their stock and go to a better team? I don't think that happens because these guys have so much pride. They just want to, they believe that they will make the bad team better by yeah. virtue of them being a part of it. So a lot of the time it is a situation where they will like gain weight to be able, if they're, if their problem is they're too light, they'll try to gain weight for the combine. If their problem is that they're too heavy, they'll drop weight in their training going into the combine. And the- just like any other job interview, you try to mask your deficiencies. I did try yeah. to drop weight before I interviewed for this job. Makes sense. It worked I, out. Yeah, yeah it did. Were you in the best shape it, of your life? Oh yeah. And I put it all back on though. So of course. And, if you're, right. and if you're drafted higher, you're typically getting more money too. Yeah. It's a decent amount more money. That's why I stay in shape, so I can get more money. Of course. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But coming up next, how did Army do with his return on this fire sale? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So we've been talking about it all year. Well, really since like the losing streak early on in the season so when Doug for. Armstrong uh, made his early season press conference. Blues are heading for a fire sale. And that's exactly what we were able to see. They ended up trading Vladimir Tarasenko, Nico Mikula, Ryan O'Reilly, Nola Chari, and Ivan Barbashev. Those five players, Alex, netted you a two first in 2023, a second in 2024, a third round pick in 2023, Probably another third round pick in 2024. It is technically a conditional pick, though. Then you got players Sammy Blay, a few kind of throw ins as prospects and Zach Dean, which is the most recent addition that they got in the Ivan Barbashev deal. I'd also throw in Kapanen. I know they just claimed him on waivers and didn't trade him, but, but the cap you don't space claim him because of the cap space. Right. So, yeah, you essentially acquired another middle six forward Absolutely. as a part of this as well because of the cap that was made available to you. Alex, when you look at what Doug Armstrong was able to do in the returns for his fire sale, how would you rate the job that he did? I'd give him an A. And I know this is going to sound like the Homer opinion here, but you had four guys that were very unlikely to be returning after this season. Tarasenko, Mikola, Achari, and Barbashev. And then the other one, maybe there was a chance, but probably not that you wanted. So you had five guys that were coming off of your roster this season that were going to be very difficult to bring back, even if this team would have been winning and just misses the playoffs. But you turned those guys into five draft picks in the first four rounds. And 
put yourself in this upcoming draft with the third most draft picks of any team going into it. And this is supposed to be a very deep draft, according to a lot of prospect analysts. On top of that, you got a prospect that could fight for a job next season and two guys who could be on your roster next season in Kapanen and Sammy Blay. I mean, to say that you got all of that for a player who did not hit his potential in Vladimir Tarasenko, another one who didn't hit his potential in Ivan Barbashev, another one who didn't hit his potential in Nico Mikola, and then underperforming season for Ryan O'Reilly and a really good season for Nolachari. To me, that's the most successful trade deadline that you could have asked if you're Doug Armstrong because now you have ev- you have all of the weapons available to you to turn this team around next season. I, I would give him an A- minus because I think he did pretty well on his retirement. He got three first-round picks. The prospect is the first. I think the only reason he wouldn't get the A-plus is some of the prospects are more projects, and then the other one is uh, you didn't re- – you didn't, and I thought – and I, the reason they didn't get the second round pick for this year's draft, which they are missing, is because they got the prospect yep. in the Barbashev trade. But that that's the only reason I would say get an A minus. But I, I think he did well for his returns because to your to your point, Alex, everybody that he traded was underperforming going into the deadline. I mean, O'Reilly clearly not having the season you wanted. I shouldn't say that. Achari had played pretty well. Achari was the only guy that was dealt at the deadline that had been playing at the level that you were expecting from him at the season. He was the one I was disappointed that they oh, moved on from. A little upset about it? Yeah. I get it, but I, I, I think they did pretty well, and I think they're done up to this point, and if they are, you couldn't ask for a much better return from Doug Armstrong. Somebody on the text line says that Kapanen was free, so you can't include him in the haul from the trading. I, I think this is something that we do need to take a second to include, Alex, because I think it's a really good point by you. He was free. You were able to pick him up via waiver, so you didn't have to attach an asset in order to be able to trade for him. But the reason why I do think that it's important to include him in this conversation is because if the Blues didn't make these moves, they would not have had the cap space to be able to go out and get a legitimate middle six forward. Now, we can have a real discussion on his level of performance this year. He's underperformed. That's why he was made available via waivers. But Alex has been talking about Jesse Pugliarvi, and I think there's been a decent amount of our audience that's been interested in him all season long because of the same qualities that the Blue that made the Blues interested in Kapanen. So you're able to get this guy because you made these trades And now you have a potential middle six forward signed next year with cost certainty for three million bucks. It's a hell of a move. It might not work out, but at least the upside is very much there for you to be able to get a decent return on this. Well, and Doug Armstrong spoke with the media a little bit ago about that claim. And he said, look, it's a win win for us. He said either this kid comes out and performs well because he underperformed this season and next year he's going to be an unrestricted free agent and he's going to get a hell of an opportunity playing with Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich. Or he stinks, and it's $3.2 million that you were going to have to spend on another player to play in your top nine. Exactly. And he walks as a UFA. Or you flip him at the trade deadline for an asset. Like, this is a win-win, and you don't get this opportunity unless you move O'Reilly and Tarasenko and Mikola and Barbashev and Achari because you don't have the cap space for it. This guy's going to be in your top nine next season. The reason why I'm going to give them an A as well is because I like what he decided to do. If you include Kapanen in this conversation, you got a legitimate NHL forward that impacts you potentially for next year. You got Zach Dean, who fits the prospect criteria that we talked a lot about, former first-round pick. They've said that he's basically the equivalent of a second-round pick in this year's draft. Cool. That sounds about like what we were expecting for Ivan Barbashev. You got multiple first-round picks, and you got a second next year, and you got a couple of thirds as well. The amount of flexibility that you have added to your roster 
this offseason or as we approach the deadline based on the moves that you made by getting rid of all pending unrestricted free agents round of applause absolutely you did great and you got it all done before the trade deadline which means that you now have this additional ammo to go back to the market to say hey for other teams we now have this available to us and whether it amounts in a trade going into the deadline this week or if it results in conversations that continue progressing into the offseason, that's good. That is a that is a good deadline for Doug Armstrong. And the next question is, what are you going to do with your blue line? And that is both in terms of getting out and going to the market and finding somebody that can help you and also removing somebody, one of those contracts specifically, from what you have available. Right and now. that's what I would tell blues fans because i'm sure a lot saw the barbershop move yesterday and said well i guess i don't have to worry about friday because they're done they're not done because what doug armstrong just did is played his cards well to the point of now he's not going to the market on friday and saying hey take this contract take this contract he doesn't have to move any of that but if a team gets desperate that did not acquire what they thought they needed in terms of a defenseman or maybe there's a forward on the roster that they could still look at and say man maybe we do take this offer because it's a hell of a deal what people are missing is the Eastern Conference is loading the hell up. Like everybody in the top six teams in the National Hockey League are all in the East. And the Western Conference has just been sleeping. A team in the West could say, we don't have the chops to go up against Boston, New Jersey, New York, Tampa, Toronto. We got to do something. Maybe that's where they call Doug and say, look, we need to get this done. And then guess what? Doug's looking even better than what he was before because now he doesn't have these UFAs to figure out where am I going to move and what am I getting. He's waiting for teams to call him on Friday and saying, yep, give me your best offer. Someone on the text line said, guys, do you ever have any moves that the Blues management makes that you did not like? If you were listening to the show over the offseason, I was not particularly thrilled about the Nick Letty move. I didn't like them letting David Perron walk. We were all not thrilled about the idea of walking away from Alex Petrangelo. Yeah, there have been moves in the past that you look at, and Pat even Maroon. in the moment, you say to yourself, ah, not, not sure this is the right direction to go. Now, Doug Armstrong has earned the benefit of the doubt, but yes, if if they didn't get the type of return that we all thought that they could have, I would have said that to you guys. I'll be honest with you about my assessment on this team. I think they did pretty well. And to your point on them potentially doing more, here's what Jeremy Rutherford had to say earlier today as he was on with the balloon party. All indications are there. There still could be a move with that defense. I know when I talked to you last, I was thinking uh, that that potentially, if it's done, could uh, be held off until the summer. Uh, But it sounds like the Blues are are still intent on moving the defensemen. And the one that we continue to point to is uh, Colton Pareko. That is where we are going to be focusing our attention over the next few days do they make another move if you had to guess right now alex do you think that they will by friday yeah on the blue line do you think that they trade one of their players i do i i think that somebody on that blue line will be moved before the deadline at i think it's three o'clock on friday i doug knows what he wants to get done and what he needs to get accomplished and i do believe there's a little bit of uh, there's a bit of, a little bit of timeliness behind this because you don't want to go to the draft and have all of these contracts still and being made it known that you want to bring somebody in to make your team better. 
I think you put yourself in a really good position at the draft to acquire an NHL player if you're able to move one of those defensemen. So somebody's going to get desperate enough. Like I said, the the Eastern Conference is loaded up. Somebody's going to get desperate and say, we need to upgrade. And that could be Tori Krug. That could be Colton Pareko. Heck, it could be a Nick Letty or a Marco Scandella. Somebody will call. See, I I don't think he's going to move anybody off the blue line because I... I, I think it's one that's going to have to be done in the offseason. I, I think it's just too tough to make a move like that for Preco or Krug. I think those are the two guys that are really having the conversations around them. I think they're with their contracts, though, it's going to be tough to move them in season. Is he trying? Yes, I, I don't doubt that he's trying. I just think when you're talking about these long-term deals with these higher AAVs, it becomes more of, okay, we're going to have to do this in the offseason. I think these conversations are building up to that. I, that's where I'm at as well. I do not think that they get anything done this week. I do think at least one, maybe multiple of those defensemen will be traded in the offseason, though. I think this is the prelude to what we're going to see in the offseason. The Rewind is next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You can find it at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. And right now, because you've been listening all day long and we appreciate you so much, we have your chance to score a pair of single session passes for the 2023 State Farm Missouri Valley men's basketball tournament i'll get better at this read i promise it's the 33rd annual mvc tournament hitting the court at enterprise center this thursday through sunday tickets to arch madness are on sale right now you can get the details at 101espn.com or you can just continue listening to 101 espn throughout the week as we will continue having an opportunity on the show every day this week to win a pair of tickets here's how you do it if you are texture number 101 at 314-399-9646 and you can tell us the band that sang the song that we were all singing in the first segment today, the band, name the band that we were singing earlier today in the open. If you can do that in your texture number uh, 101 at 314-399-9646, you are getting a pair of tickets to a single session pass for State Farm Missouri Valley, Missouri Valley Conference Men's Basketball Tournament. State Farm! Missouri Valley. <laughs> that was really fun. Uh, that was great. To, we have fun here. Uh, guys, tomorrow I think we're going to spend a little bit more time doing this, but Brendan Donovan has now hit two home runs already in the spring. Oh, Last yeah. year he had, what, four over the course of the entire season? Yeah, or five, because I looked it up earlier. I was curious. He had one in spring training last year, so he's already doubled that total. And if this was, again, this is one of those things where, like, you track it, right? In the offseason, he went down to the same place, the lab, the hitting lab that Arenado and Goldie went to last year to be able to improve his swing. He got a new puck bat, and he worked on adding some speed to his swing. He was working, all he was talking about this on the game today, on pulling the ball more and having more pull, with, win, or with more power when he does pull it. 
if this is real, big if, and he adds power to a player that already has a crazy high on base percentage, who buddy? We are talking about a legit starting second baseman that could, by the end of the year, be considered to be like a top five starting second baseman in baseball. Yep, and that changes the entire dynamic of your lineup in terms of where he's at on it. If he is that leadoff hitter, well, now you got power on top of the on-base ability. But if not, now you've got double weapons that you could be talking about using in the seven, eight, nine spot, which is just a dangerous weapon to be uh, to have if you're Ali Marmol. I mean, you got a ton of dudes that could be coming off of the bench right now with potential 15, 20 home runs. If Donovan adds power to his game, I mean, you're talking about a potential guy that could be an all-star. That That's how good he could be because his on-base will be high, and I believe that'll be the case because he's got a great eye. And if he starts slugging the ball more, he's going to have that OPS climb, and he's going to be hitting leadoff, scoring a bunch of runs. If, he, if this power is real, there's a serious chance that you're looking at a potential all-star second baseman on the St. Louis Cardinals. I think it's possible. And it again, it's spring training. Everything matters. No, it doesn't. No, Just it doesn't. keep it in the back of your mind really as you continue level. watching. If it, if the power sustains through spring training, and then we start seeing it incorporated into his game in the regular season, that's where you know. All right, there's probably something to this, especially because it is something that he specifically focused on in the off season. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We will also talk about the other Cardinal second baseman tomorrow. Man, it has been a super impressive start to the spring for Nolan Gorman. We'll talk about that tomorrow. We'll also talk about Tink Hintz's outing, which has been impressive so far. That's all coming up tomorrow. The Fast Lane's coming up next year on 101 ESPN. Burn it through the sky. Yeah. 200 degrees. That's why they call them Mr. Marin High. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.